Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls survive this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish ordeal. Something evil. It came from Cleveland. Come for the art, stay for the beer. Not recommended for impressionable children. Especially not the beer. You don't want impressionable children getting all drunk. I could use a beer right now, but hey. <laughs> I've got some chilling, so everybody welcome to It Came From Cleveland, episode four, for uh, April 23rd, 2021. Got some great uh, birthdays for this week. Uh, a huge one, Eddie Alberts, uh, somebody who I deeply admire the more and more I learn about him. And, uh, of course, uh, Sandra D and all kinds of interesting, fun tidbits to talk about tonight. A big, a biggie for our Twilight Zone review tonight. Because 61 years ago today, they did not have, uh, well, it didn't, uh, the, according to Wikipedia, no episode of the Twilight Zone aired. So what we're doing is we're going back to the beginning and we're doing a review of Season 1, Episode 1 tonight. Where is everybody? Classic stuff. So, uh, yeah, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of audio to run, uh, some mysteries to solve. Uh, not really mysteries, but some some fun little trivia tidbits for everybody. Uh, but, of course, welcome aboard, Joe Santorsa. Hello there, Joe. Hi. Everything's yeah. good here in Scranton. Sun is out. Yeah? Snow melted? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Monday's <laughs> a snowstorm is, is gone. <laughs> we got about five inches of snow here over the course of two days. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. And it's gone now. It's going to be in the 70s next week. So Right. <laughs> but, uh, of course, uh, out like a lion, in like a lamb, right? That's what they say. Mm. And uh, Miles is here, uh, loaded for bear. L- Miles is going to tell us about some online gaming later. Very excited about that. Yep, yep. Uh, got those ready. But, like, last weekend, though, had a hiccup when uh, our washing machine sprang a leak. Those oh, jeez. But, fortunately... I own a hydraulic car jack, so we're good. Well, that's good, yeah. <laughs> so, but yes, uh, I use hydraulic car jack in the repair. Yes. Okay. All right. Very good. And of course, Michelle is here, our uh, mistress of horror. Uh, and uh, boy, what a fun movie we have to talk about tonight. Oh yeah, we've got so, some Cthulhu mythos going on tonight. Oh, That'll yes. be fun. <laughs> Cult classic with Dean Sockwell and our birthday girl Sandra D uh, tonight. So yeah, so our uh, celebrity birthdays we're primarily focused on tonight are the one and only Eddie Albert, uh, born. Uh, he well shoot he would he lived to be ninety nine. He died in two thousand five. Uh, so I guess that means he was born in nineteen oh four or something like that. And uh, Sandra D. Was born 1942. Lee Majors, 1940. Oh, no, Eddie Albert, 1908 is when he was born. Um, I might have gotten that wrong. But he, he lived a, a nice long life. And uh, what a storied life he lived, too. 
Um, but before we get to that, something interesting I was watching uh, on uh, Sci-Fi Saturdays over on um, uh, MeTV Joe, and of course the the show that didn't quite age too well, Buck Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> But I do love that guitar line. So, so delicate, and that's from the outro of the show. So I'm watching the show, and and, and this is really sad though because it was it, I was doing some research about Tweaky, and I look up Tweaky, and the sad news is that Felix Silla, who physically portrayed Tweaky on the show, uh, just passed away uh, on I believe the 16th. So the uh, the day of our our last show, I believe, and um, and it was really sad. Um, I uh, I know you you met him before, right, Joe? Yeah, we did a uh, with Bob and uh, his colleague. We did a Lassie. Uh, we had a table at a Western Film Festival, mm-hmm. and F- Felix was uh, at an after party after the. <clears throat> That night after the uh, first night of the of the film festival, mm-hmm. um, he was there with a bunch of other fifties, uh, I guess forties, fifties, and sixties celebrities. And uh, in fact, I have a picture of the group. I think I yeah, this share. is a, yeah, this is a good one. We'll we'll be using uh, this for uh, incorporating this into our show art for tonight. Yeah, this is a, a picture of the group. This was in twenty eleven, July of twenty eleven, down in. Uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll notice at the far right, there is Felix. Very yeah. nice man. With uh, Shirley Jones? Pleasant. That's Shirley Jones, yeah, next to her. Yeah. Yeah. She used to visit Bob's table every day to pet the dog. <laughs> oh, All five days, she would come down, pet the dog, say hello. Uh, they're, they were all very nice. In fact... I uh, I challenge some people in the chat. Um, see how many of those people you could identify. Yeah, yeah. they're Maybe all we'll... uh, from fifties or sixties uh, TV shows. Some seventies, and some are from from sci- some some are from sci- science fiction. Uh, yeah, um, movies. Yes, so very yes. cool. So yeah, check it yeah. out. See see who you can figure out is in the picture in the chat room there, and we'll have that included in our show art for our podcast listeners. Um, and um, I think I also have, a, by the way, a picture of mm-hmm. Felix um, in his Tweaky outfit. Let's oh, see. Oh, very cool. That in here. And uh, yeah, that's so, a very oh. cool picture, though. There we go. That was uh, we we kept the program from the from the from the the. Mm-hmm. The film sh- film sh- show. So uh, he was a late addition to the to the film festival. So uh, this was the insert in the yeah. uh, in the program. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, what were you saying, Michelle? I know it's a very cool picture. I I love seeing all those faces. And Shirley oh, Jones yeah. is just so much fun. She's a oh, cookie yeah. lady, but she is just fun. Yeah, <laughs> she is. She's a very. They're all very nice, but she was exceptionally. Exceptionally nice. Yeah. Well, so, the, but okay, so let's get to uh, this. Is, uh, I call this a tale of two Tweakies because everybody knows the voice of Tweaky. Uh, that we, we, uh, here, Mel Blank, of course. Hey. Uh, I found a couple more too. Uh, I heard that. 
Yeah, and uh, and and here, uh, the Tweaky to life. Yeah, so lachaim, uh, <laughs> uh, um, which is Yiddish for to life, uh, usually typically made as a toast. Um, and so I'm watching Buck Rogers uh, from um, season two, episode two, the other day. And I, in, in, in this, uh, the season two, they changed the cast drastically in, in, in the, in season two of Buck Rogers. I noticed like, you know, the Dr. Uh, Hewer or whatever his name was, he wasn't there anymore. And they, they brought in like this, uh, goofy old British actor. Um, I, I don't mean to say that he, he was a pretty cool actor. And then, you know, this gruff kind of, um, uh, military kind of guy, and here's a scene where the the gruff military guy is talking to Tweaky. Tweaky, get him up here. Crichton, you are ordered to the bridge at once. I have asked you on several occasions, Tweaky, not to give me orders. You are not a human. But I was. You listen to me, Kettlebelly. That wasn't Mel Blank. No. <laughs> I was like, okay, what's going on here? So I did a little bit of research, and apparently a guy named by the name of Bob Elye filled in, uh, and that's not Pig Latin either, um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Bob Elye, uh, he passed away a while back, but he was, he doesn't have a huge footprint in like voice work or anything like that, but apparently they, they hired this dude to sub for Mel Blanc for like five episodes when he was sick, mm. and... Um, in turn, I think they kind of pushed Tweaky to the background of some of these episodes too, because they wanted the recognition of Mel Blanc. But it, it struck me as being odd that this guy wasn't even trying to sound like the gruff little, you know, thing. It's like, you know, he just made up this whole new character for Tweaky, which I think is, I mean, a little disrespectful to Mel Blanc, if, if you ask me, um, you know, and if you listen to the beady beady beat things from like the different ones, hey. um, that I heard that all the beady beady beats are recycled. He there's only a couple of them. They constantly recycle that, and then just have the new lines put in after that. Uh, because I was looking at the the waveforms of them, and they're like identical, you know, um, with slight variations. But, um, so, so to me, I was like, you know, this is, this is nuts. Why would they, you know, do that? But what was interesting though, about, um, this is it early on in, in Buck Rogers season one, uh, Felix Silla was given the opportunity to play another character because of this. Um, and, uh, uh, let me see. I, I got I, I should have looked up this. Um, but he played this little blue alien, um, in, uh, at least one episode. And, um, it, it you know, like in season two, they introduced all these different characters like that Hawk character. Uh, Miles, do you remember the Hawk dude? Ooh. No. Yeah, he was like this bird guy, and his species like founded Easter Island and then left Earth because they were persecuted. And oh, uh, oh that's not coming to me. Yeah, and uh, but but yeah, so he was in um, 
uh, let me see. Uh, where where is he here? Uh, Buck Rogers. There we go. Miles so, just lost his power supply. So. Oh shoot. Hold on a moment. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. Um. So so yeah. So in um uh. Let me see. Where's where's Felix Silla? Um. There's shoot. They're not showing it in IMDb. I'd have to find the exact episodes. Is that the alien you were looking for? Um, yeah, I think, uh, let me take a look. Yeah, that little dude, that guy was played by Felix Silla, so, and I think he was a actually able to use his voice for that character, too. So, um, so that's, uh, that's, you know, kind of interesting that, uh, they, they gave him a little bit more of an opportunity to, uh, stretch his legs, um, as a, as a different character while Mel Blanc was, you know, on the mend. But Mel Blanc did come back, um, um, in season two. But yeah, so I, but again, why wouldn't you at least attempt to try and sound like the character a little bit? I understand not everybody's voice is the same, but turning Tweaky into, from the gruff little, um, you know, almost like Tasmanian devil sounding character to, you know, Hey, I'm Tweaky, you know, struck me as, as being a, a poor choice. Definitely screwed up the continuity. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So there's the tale of two Tweakies. That's all I have on that. I just wanted to get that out there. And any excuse to play uh, Tweaky. <laughs> I heard that. Yeah. Yes, you did. <laughs> so, uh, um, all right. So let's get to. Um, let's go ahead and get to Eddie Albert because this is this has been a pure joy learning uh, more and more about Eddie Albert because he was. A war hero. Um, and Miles, did you recognize the the combat mission that uh, um, he had been in? He still's not um, back. Oh, in yet. okay, okay. I'm sorry. So, um, but yeah, so Eddie Albert um, was uh, a, he fought in wor World War uh, Two, um, and uh, he was um, yeah. Uh, yeah, let's see. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh, he used to be a high wire artist in Mexico, <laughs> and uh, and a clown, which I can believe. Um, but uh, he actually secretly worked for U.S. Army intelligence too, photographing German U-boats in Mexican harbors. How about that? And um, he was. Um, let me see. Um, where is it? Uh, the invasion of Tarawa. In November of 1943, he uh, he rescued 47 Marines who were stranded um, and received the the Bronze Star. But don't let it be said that you know no good deed goes unpunished, mm. <laughs> or let it be said, because yes. um, you know uh, and and I was sickened to find this out too. But um, uh, we just talked about Robert Montgomery, Elizabeth Montgomery's father, last week. And that guy, he was a friendly witness in the uh, House of Un-American Activities, along with people like Ronald Reagan. Um, <laughs> shocker there. Uh, and they were, uh, they were trying to blacklist Eddie Albert as, as being a communist because of his wife, Margot, uh, had anti-Franco sentiments and was a liberal. So they tried to brand him a communist, and uh, his son was quoted... Um, in, uh, in, in Vincent Price's book, actually, um, it, here's, let me find the quote. 
Um, but yeah, so and and other people who were uh, gone after the in this, and you know, I'm sure many of you know Charlie Chaplin, who we just talked about not long ago, uh, Kim Hunter, who we just talked about not that long ago, Arthur Miller, Zero Mostel, um, you know, Paul Robeson, uh, tons of of really good people, but. Um, uh, but Albert, yeah, actually he was quoted, um, in Vincent Price, uh, a daughter's biography. So, uh, Victoria Price, that's Vincent Price's daughter, right, Michelle? Victoria. Yeah. Um, it says, uh, everyone was so full of fear. Many people couldn't, uh, support their families or worse, their lives were ruined and they had to go, uh, and do menial jobs. Some even killed themselves. Eddie Albert was quoted. And then, um, uh, Eddie Albert. Uh, uh, his son um, spoke of his parents blacklisting in an interview published in December of 1972, crediting uh, Albert's service during World War II with ultimately saving his career. Said, my mom was blacklisted for appearing at an anti-Franco rally. She was branded a communist, was spat upon in the streets, and had to have uh, a bodyguard. And my dad found himself unemployable at several major studios just as his career was gathering momentum. During the Second World War, Dad joined the Navy and saw action at Tarawa, and uh, because he came back of something of a hero, he was able to get work again, but he never got as far as he should have gotten. And I, I agree. I think that Eddie Albert's career did get tanked by these sickos who were trying mm-hmm. to call an American com- uh, American hero communist. And, uh, and it's just, it's just grotesque, you know, in, in Charlie Chaplin. Oh my God. Um, you know, uh, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, uh, yeah. Uh, living says, so Robert Montgomery was a big rat pretty much. Sorry to <laughs> burst the bubble on that. So, I mean, yeah, not it, as, not as big a rat as Ronald Reagan. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So I have to tell you, Bob's Bob told me uh, yesterday that his father worked with Ronald Reagan on several projects and hated his guts. He said he was such a right wing nut. He used to actually char- uh, start fist fights on the sets <laughs> over politics. Oh, geez. Yeah, this guy was a real rat. Well, sweet people. Yeah. Uh, nice. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, but, you know, again, so they, they tried to smear Eddie Albert and, and, and tank his career. Now, I found some archival audio, uh, a lot of it from the CBC Canadian Broadcasting Company from 1970, um, that just show you what a gentle, amazing soul Eddie Albert was. And it, not only it was yesterday his birthday, but yesterday was Earth Day. And Eddie Albert, if you didn't know, had a huge part in uh, getting Earth Day started. Um, and when was the first first Earth Day? Was it 1970? Um, I can't remember when it was. Um, I'm looking here. Um, oh yeah, and another thing too, he actually helped uh, get uh, DDT banned, and uh, because he was, um, uh, let me find this article. This was. This was really cool. Um, there, there's, um, uh, yeah, this is an article from uh, April 22nd, 2009 from uh, Mental Floss. And uh, it's by Kara Kovac- uh, Kovalchik, How Earth Day and the Hapless Farmer from Green Acres are Related. 
Um, and it says, most of us uh, probably hear the name Eddie Albert and imminent, uh, immediately think of the hapless gentleman farmer he portrayed on TV's Green Acres. Despite having a- appeared in over 100 motion pictures and a dozen Broadway shows, he'll always be remembered as Oliver Wendell Douglas, a role he played for only six of his 99 years. But it was the role he played offstage for most of his life uh, that led to April 22nd, his birthday, being designated Earth Day. During the early 70s, Albert had a regular workout routine that consisted of jogging to the beach um, uh, near his Southern California home and then taking a swim. An avid bird watcher, uh, he'd bought his first Audubon pin at the age of six. He was very familiar with the various species uh, native to his area and their habitats. When he noticed an absence of baby pelicans one season, he investigated and found out that thousands of pounds of DDT, uh, a pesticide, had been pumped into Los Angeles area sewers by a single uh, chemical company. DDT is fat-soluble and has a half-life of eight years, so it was absorbed by anchovies and other fishy favorites of the pelican diet. It eventually affected the reproductive systems. Mother pelicans laid eggs with such thin shells that they crushed and broke when uh, the, they tried to incubate them. Albert asked NBC for a few moments of airtime to address the harmful effects of DDT, and shortly after the broadcast, he was invited to speak at three universities on the subject. Three years later, the U.S. government banned the use of DDT. So right there, he continued being an American hero. Because this was getting in animal food supplies, and it was obviously in what in wary animals too. So he he you know got DDT banned. Um, and uh, it says TV Guide once described Albert as an ecological Paul Revere, to which the actor responded, "Ecologist hell, uh, too mild a word. Check the Department of Ag- Agriculture. Sixty percent of the world is hungry already." With our soil impoverished and our air poisoned and our wildlife crippled by DDT, our rivers and lakes are turning into giant cesspools and mass starvation in apparent inevitability uh, by 1976. I call myself a human survivalist. You can almost hear the the fife playing in the background. Sorry, I'm going to leave out the editorialization there. Um, And uh, he'd been traveling the world since the 50s and meeting with experts in various fields including a trip to the Congo with Albert Schweitzer to study malnutrition. Uh, and he passed on his findings on to the public via interviews, such as high-profile venues as The Tonight Show and university lectures. Washington finally to, uh, decided to designate one day per year as an environmental teach-in. Um, and when Earth Day was inaugurated in 1970, Albert was one of the many celebrity guest speakers on hand to help launch the festivities. So, um, but yeah, there's lots more and, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, um, I can't post that article right now, but I'll link to it in our podcast. Um, but it, it's, uh, it, that's pretty remarkable. That, that's a pretty remarkable thing. Um, I mean, Joe, the, you know, he, he got DDT, uh, banned. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we don't realize these people are heroes uh, beyond what we knew of them. Mm-hmm. You know the the courage they had first as a as a fighter pilot, yeah, and uh, second as an environmentalist and to get like you said DDT uh, banned that that was an accomplishment in his day. 
that's almost like uh, getting gasoline banned now. Yeah, really. <laughs> you know, it's, no. it, that was quite a quite a thing. The, the power of corporations, you know, bribing our politicians cannot be understated. Yeah, and, yeah. and you know, and another thing I like to say pulpit. too is yeah, go ahead. Is that uh, this thing about uh, you know, shut up and dribble? That that celebrities shouldn't yeah, have uh, shut up and act. Yeah, shouldn't have anything to say. Uh, well, here's an example of, of a celebrity using his celebrity uh, for the better of mankind. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, this is this is you know pretty powerful stuff, Michelle. Oh, very much so. It's it's so fun to hear when 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 people who take a celebrity and use it for a really good cause. Yeah. You know, and instead of instead of being a a a a a, a, a douche and starting fights on set. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> here right. here are some interesting clips um, uh, from the CBC from 1970. Uh, so right around the time that he was working on, you know, uh, you know, getting getting DDT, uh, you know, banned and uh, and and helping found Earth Day. Uh, here here's a clip of him, and this is him just talking about, you know, uh, growing up in Minnesota and and you know trees, you know, deforestation, whatnot. The lakes of Minnesota, where I grew up, the land of 10,000 lakes, we used to swim there, and it was pure, wonderful, fresh water. I remember all those beautiful shorelines there. The trees, those beautiful elm trees that every town had that made a wonderful canopy of deep green over the streets. And uh, you'd be walking there with your girl or as a kid, I recall, and the light through those beautiful leaves, they tell me all are gone now. And I remember right in the fall with the leaves falling off the tree and filling the, the roadways there, we'd scuffle along through that. That was fun. I've never been able to show my son what that's like, or my daughter. Gone, gone forever. So yeah, so he, he mourned the loss of, uh, of uh, you know, parts of the environment that he had grown accustomed, you know? Um, and, you know, I mean, it just, and you just hear in his voice what a, what a gentle soul he was. Uh, you know, it's very, very touching. Um, and, um, and I'll ooh, look at the time. We're already uh, ready for our, our house band break. Um, but we do have lots more to hear about from Eddie Albert and people, other people about Eddie Albert, his co-star, uh, Ava Gabor, uh, of course, uh, Lisa from Green Acres, and his real-life wife, Margot, um, whom he stayed faithful to and was married to for 40 years until she passed away in 1985. Um, uh, you know, uh, just, you know, a lovely guy. Just everything about him was wonderful. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so for tonight, uh, let's see, what do we have here for Kill the Hippies? Mort just gave me the latest list of music to listen uh, to uh, or to play on the show tonight. So from Kill the Hippies, we have Heat Reduction Oven, Moral to the Story, which was one of my favorite songs that they've ever done, uh, Murder, Murder Babble, which is a very good, fun song, and Public Address, all great songs, really. But check out the second tune, uh, Moral to the Story. I love this song. Love all these songs, and thanks to Mort and uh, PP for uh, allowing Kill the Hippies to be our house band here on It Came From Cleveland. We'll be right back. I heard that. 
that counts in the end is power. Naked, merciless force! <laughs> Here's a little teaser for later on in the show. Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> that, that relates to our Twilight Zone talk tonight. Uh, but welcome back, everybody. Uh, oh, I forgot to mention, we've got brand new robots uh, tonight and a brand new Mythical Minute. Mythical Minutes from Adam Hebert. <laughs> Uh, and a great new trailer break uh, from Michelle uh, featuring Eddie Albert movies. How cool is that? So, uh, jumping right back into it, I just want to uh, start from the same CBC uh, interview from 1970. Uh, a little bit more just about what a, what a kind, uh, wonderful soul he was. And here he is, uh, here's Eddie Albert at his home talking about some trees uh, that he was lovingly taken care of. Let me tell you about my tree here. This was an old olive tree that died. And I was worried about it and I thought I'd have to have it uh, lifted out. So I asked some fellow to, who did that kind of work. He said it would cost me $500. So I said, forget it. <laughs> and what I did was plant four or five different kinds of bougainvillea to grow up over the dead olive tree and it's turned into a wonderful bouquet. Here's another favorite tree of mine. It's an olive tree, and it used to be very full. My son used to hide up here when he was very little. He'd climb around. You couldn't even see him. And then I did something wrong. I watered it too much. And uh, I guess like many things you overdo, the tree couldn't stand it, and the tree started to die, and it was nearly gone when I realized what I was doing wrong. And uh, you know how you, how you make a tree grow? How you, you want to know how do you make, bring them back to life? Well, the same way you do with a child. You have to hug them a lot. <laughs> and I come out and I touch the tree every day that I can. And you have to tell them you love them. You say, I love you. You're a wonderful tree, just like, a, like you would with your wife or your child. You say, you're a wonderful tree and you're very beautiful. And we need you very much here, which is true. And the tree knows that. 
My son and I were in Australia, oh, about six months ago, I guess. And he brought back all these beautiful necklaces, and he thought he would put them on the tree. They're made of shells. And the tree appreciates it, I'm sure. So there you go, Michelle. Uh, uh, Eddie Albert, legit tree hugger. That's amazing. That's kind of cool. <laughs> I, li- I like the idea of repurposing an old dead tree into something beautiful, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, and it, it, if uh, yeah, if anybody wants to look these up on YouTube, they're Eddie Albert 1970 CBC interviews. Uh, there's a couple of them. Um, and in this one, it, it, the tree, Joe, it was just a, it, his son had just decorated this thing with all of these different, you know, jewel, uh, not jewels, but like crystals and beads and necklaces. And, uh, you know, there, there were even some. Some of those 1970s, like, uh, um, God's Eye things that you made out of yarn and sticks. <laughs> so, uh, it was really cool. It was very cool. So, um, it, but no, it, you know, and again, it, he's, a uh, you know, uh, he, he truly just, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I wish I could be that gentle of a soul, Miles. You know, farming and gardening has its own awesome touch. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, 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 it can't be said enough. And so, I don't know when it started, but the pressure, the social pressure in America for people to plant grass, which doesn't contribute jack crap, yeah. and, and mow it for to, for aesthetics instead mm-hmm. of growing useful plants is really I'll just call it a crime against nature. Yeah. Yeah, I try uh, we we try around here to uh you know, we don't use chemicals on our lawn or anything like that. If we get dandelions, we get dandelions. And um uh the um um and we try we let birds plant things. You know, we 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 feed birds and squirrels and everything and we we let them plant stuff. And we we've gotten some beautiful stuff growing all over our yard um <laughs> at various times of the year. But um but yeah, uh, but you know, I understand what you're saying there and and yeah, unfortunately I got to keep up with the city codes and keep the grass mode. <laughs> so um as do we. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but now now Joe, this one I loved. This was from another one where he was actually on the set of Green Acres, and <laughs> just his his outlook on on being alive, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and and what he wanted from his life. Just I, I just think is is this is something he he could have been a Dalai Lama, you know. <laughs> when I hear what he says <laughs> here, this is really great. I was out in that void somewhere for 70 million years waiting to be born and finally some time ago god says all right ahead you're on and he threw me into the fray and i've got maybe 70 80 years here and i intend them to be joyful i intend them to be as beautiful as i can make them and that's and he had 99 that's so cool it's impressive and and boy did he make the most of his life here joe Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And and uh, again, I, I quote Bob a lot, but in talking to Bob about Eddie Albert, he said he was one of the nicest people he ever worked with in in, uh, in film or television. He worked yeah. a lot with him on uh, Green Acres, mm-hmm. uh, Bob did. So he, he knew him quite well. 
and he said he was one of the nicest men he's ever worked with. Which is saying a lot for Hollywood because some of the stories Bob tells me are yeah. ugly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. And I was watching, a, the, the audio wasn't so great on it, but I was watching, I believe it was the last interview with Eddie Albert and his son. Um, mm-hmm. But it, he was telling a, a really interesting story about how uh, he met uh, he, and became friends with uh, uh, Burl Ives and Woody Guthrie. And, you know, just had some really fun stories. I guess uh, at one point Woody Guthrie was living in a boxcar and, and Eddie Albert had him come stay with them for a while until they could get on, uh, he and his family could get on their feet. And, um, you know, just, I mean, so so he was, you know, just all over the place with, uh, you know, his, his connections and his kindness and, and you know, it was, it was pretty cool, cool stuff. Um. I found another thing, and and I thought this was fascinating. You know, even later into his life, uh, in 1987, um, I found this uh, commercial, a PSA, for vocational agriculture that he actually, you know, lent his, you know, face and voice to. And, and I just thought this was, this kind of was nice that it dovetailed out of something he did, you know, was talking about 17 years prior and, you know, and even before that, but... Here's this little PSA. This is Eddie Albert. We made agriculture America's number one industry. But to ensure our future, our strength and sustenance will have to come from our young people. Agriculture is a career where you can make a difference. You can work with the latest sophisticated technology, and the opportunities are unlimited if you have the right skills. The future is in your hands. Contact your high school today to get started in vocational agriculture and the FFA. So, you know, uh, pretty decent cause. Of course, you know, there's a lot to be said, I guess, about factory farming and stuff like that, too. But um, I'm sure that's not what he was advocating. Um, and, uh, uh, but uh, I did uh, another bit of trivia. He is he is buried uh, in the same cemetery uh, next to his wife, but also his fictional wife, Ava Gabor, is buried very close to where he was because they were very, very dear friends. Although they, they disagreed on um, a few things on set, and I think some of it was even worked into the script at one point, um, where he didn't like it when she... I don't know what kind of feathers they were, but, you know, those those, like kind of sheer nightgown type things or robes or whatever that have like the the feather cuffs and collars on them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if they were ostrich feather or what, what they were made of. Uh, but he, he didn't want her to wear that kind of stuff because he didn't want, you know, women to go out and, and emulate uh, her style and have a bunch of birds killed just for their feathers. Um, and apparently there's some anecdotal report or if, I don't know if it was worked into the show. I, I was confused about the, the, when I was reading about this, cause I read a lot of stuff and I got confused, but, um, uh, I don't know if they worked it into the show or if she actually said it to him, but, uh, uh, she said, feathers don't come from birds, darling. They come from pillows. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah. And, and uh, and I, but I did find some really lovely audio from Ava Gabor too, from the same CBC uh, on location uh, uh, interviews. And uh, here's here's uh, part one of Ava Gabor. That is a performer. I, he's magnificent. He's a marvelous actor. 
he's a he's sort of a very darling man, you know. It, he needs handling. He can come up in the morning and get his eyes like this together and being very German about things. But I have a way to get him around to relax and be happy on the set, which is terribly important because we are doing a comedy. And unless we <laughs> always call him Happy Eddie Albert and he cheers up and he perks up. Yeah, Happy Eddie Albert. So <laughs> Very cool. And she uh, was the more talented sister, so... Uh, I've got some stories to tell you about our local radio show host and Jaja Gabor. One of these days, we're going to have to talk about that because that was absolutely hilarious. All right, all right, fair enough. And that is one phrase that would set her off. Is the guy would you know our local radio host would go and Ava? How's Ava? You're more talented, sister. Oh my god! Oof. Well, Ava had brilliant comedic timing. Uh, you know, I mean, yes. both and their chemistry was so uh, incredible. I do have, and don't worry, we will have some Green Acres audio for uh, the, the next hour. Uh, but I thought we would uh, talk a little bit more about Eddie the Man now. Um, but no, that's the I. I can't, <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing about that. Um, what about his album? Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I, you know, if it wasn't ASCAP BMI, I would be playing some of that stuff. But yeah, uh, there's a video of him performing Green Green Grass of Home on, uh, Johnny Cash's television show, I believe. Um, so, you know, there you go. And, uh, but yeah, so here's, um, um, Ava Gabor part two on Eddie Albert. I know Eddie since I'm in America and his wife, Marco and his children, and we are very, very close, good friends, which I think is a great help when you live together as we do for six years. You realize that we spend more time together, Eddie and I, like I do with my husband, or Eddie does with his wife. Yeah, so this was during season six of Green Anchors that these interviews were happening. Um, Was that the final season? Did it last six seasons? can't remember I don't so remember. um but uh but uh and and uh last last one of the archival stuff uh, this is his actual wife margo uh who she was a an actor and a dancer and she had a career in her own right and she went professionally by the name margo and she has a very 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 long name that i did not memorize so she went by Margot. <laughs> I'm calling her Margot, uh, Eddie Albert's wife. And I don't know if she took uh, the last name Albert or not because her Wikipedia entry is just Margot. <laughs> M-A-R-G-O. But uh, this is, it, it, you know, uh, just wonderful. And again, married uh, uh, for 40 years. Uh, he did not remarry uh, when she passed away in 1985. But here's uh, her words about the man, Eddie Albert, well, who she thought he was and who he ended up being. I saw him in a movie, and I said to myself, never having had a crush on an actor before, I don't want to meet that guy because I think I would fall in love with him. And I don't want to fall in love with anybody right now because I want to work, and I want to be a great actress, and I want to travel all over the world, and I want to start schools for children who can't pay. And uh, I don't want to meet him. And uh, one of those terrible friends that one has said, you know, I know a guy who's absolutely the Really, you'd be instant friends. And he said, Eddie Albert, and you know, I heard in the distance, come, boom, boom, you know? And so it was. Uh, I met him, and I really thought he was the nicest person I'd ever met. 
And it's a terribly sad thing to have to tell you, but after 24 years of marriage, I think he's a fantastic human being. As a matter of fact, I like him even better. <laughs> so that's that's pretty wonderful. Uh, makes me a little misty. Uh, yeah, six seasons, uh, 170 episodes of Green Acres. So that's impressive, mm -hmm. you know. Um, uh, it, you know, because seasons had a lot more episodes in them back in the day than than they do now, you know. Um, and uh, but no, that that so I think that that's a, a good uh, good telling of of what kind of guy he was, you know. Again, re, you know, just to recap his his service in World War II and even before that, when he was you know down in Mexico taking pictures of German U boats. Um, and you know, all of his ecological work, his dedication to his family, uh, and his wife and, uh, in the planet. I mean, you know, you, you couldn't ask for, um, you couldn't really ask for a greater human being. I, I kind of wish he had been president, uh, but he only got to play the president in dreamscape. Uh, the unnamed president. He's just the president. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> So, boy, if, if there was an actor that was supposed to become president, that would have been nice. Um, but, uh, oh, that reminds me, because Ronald, they did mention Ronald Reagan on uh, um, Green Acres. I've got that clip floating around somewhere when Lyle Talbot was playing himself as a senator. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, but we've got some, we've got some fun, fun stuff. Um related to that so yeah i mean i've got loads of eddie albert audio well since i mentioned it here let's uh um let's play um a clip of him from uh what what year was dreamscape 1984 uh that's right yeah so here's here's a clip of eddie albert uh the, as the president meeting with Bob Blair, played by Christopher Plummer, Eddie Albert and Christopher Plummer, then Max von Sydow was it? That movie had the greatest cast, Dreamscape. Um, yeah, it, it, it is just crazy. Um, but yeah, Dreamscape was 1984. I've got that saved on the on the trailer title. But yeah, so here's uh, the the president has been having nightmares, apocalyptic nightmares. And here uh, he meets with a man who might have a plan to rescue him from these nightmares. Bob! Thanks for coming. It's been a long time, Mr. President. Yeah. Fred, uh, give us a moment alone, huh? Sit down. Thank you. Relax. <laughs> ah, damn. It's good to see you. Well, we've been through a lot together, haven't oh, we? Yeah. You and I. Fought quite a few battles. Let's talk about those nightmares. They're getting progressively worse. It's terrifying. I haven't slept in weeks. And your doctor? Oh, they're useless. It's beginning to affect my job. That's the real reason you're here, isn't it? <laughs> I'm here because I'm your friend. One of the uh, projects I've been overseeing concerns the foremost specialists in dream research. I think they may very well be able to help. Well, I'll be honest with you. I think there's a reason for these dreams. What do you mean? It's my responsibility 
to bring the world back from the brink. This nuclear madness has to end. And I've decided to lead personally the delegation to Geneva next month. John, you can't be serious. No, no, no. I know you're against me on this. But I'm going to make a disarmament deal with the Russians. One thing at a time. Our first priority is your peace of mind. Oh, peace of mind. <laughs> Where the hell are that peace of mind? I just want these damn nightmares to end. Well, that's what we all want. If you'll allow me, I think I can help. Maybe he was just President Eddie Albert in that, since, uh, you know, uh, Lyle Talbot was Senator Lyle Talbot in Green Acres. <laughs> um, or maybe he was President Oliver Wendell Douglas. Could be. Could, Could be. be. Oh, Or maybe it, President Arnold. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, uh, Arnold uh, uh, Ziffel? What was his last Ziffel. name? Ziffel. Ziffel. Arnold Ziffel. Yeah. Arnold Ziffel. So uh, I was running out of time, but I really wanted to get some of the audio from when he Arnold got kicked out of school, but I didn't get a chance to. Um, but uh, but we've got a lot of other good stuff. Oh, and by the way, Joe and and uh, Miles and Michelle, have you been watching Me TV much, or just for um, Svenguli? Just a little here and there. Usually just for Svenguli or early in the morning for the cartoons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, there is a there is a commercial on there that I love that I, I just in case nobody is, is seen it, um, uh, I at least wanted to get the the audio for it where it's the the Twilight Zone Green Acres mashup. <laughs> Joe probably oh, yeah, knows. No. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so here we go. Uh, I, they did a pretty decent job on this. This is a farmhouse, a house untouched by progress. That's Oliver Douglas. My name is Douglas, Oliver Wendell Douglas. The man who has achieved every man's ambition. Beautiful home, beautiful wife. You are my wife. Goodbye, city life. He's about to enter a strange new world. Too incredible to be real, too real to be a dream. It's called the Twilight Zone. This is like living in the Twilight Zone. I love that. And uh, it, isn't it so funny how things, you know, you look back and in, in the, you know, how close, you know, Green Acres was to, you know, when the Twilight Zone came out. Um, and, you know, that just became part of the vernacular, you know. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm living in the Twilight Zone. Or, you know, if you go back to the, the interview clip where his wife, Margot, she did, hummed the Dragnet theme, too, <laughs> you know. Oh, uh, so, uh, it, it's just interesting that, you know, how easily in, you know, the, the indelible marks that are left by pop culture, uh, and how quickly they, they get absorbed. So, um, you know, and there's a, a little teaser for after the break or later in the show, there is a, Bob told me there's a link between return to which escape to which mountain that mm -hmm. we'll be discussing later and green acres. Ah, very oh, nice. cool! And it's not just Eddie Albert. Oh, well, I'm looking forward yeah. to that. So, uh, yeah, and um, oh, and and by the way, I uh, that uh, thank you, uh, Michelle, for putting that picture of Chris, Christopher Plummer and um, Eddie Albert in there together. And 
you know, I just kept looking at that and I was like, my God, I, I couldn't believe, uh, I'm looking at uh, Christopher Plummer, the similarities that I see uh, with uh, in the vibe that he gives off is, is very similar to what I see in Michael Fassbender now uh, of, uh, of Plummer. So, uh, I don't know, There's it's like, if anybody was going to play Christopher Plummer in a biopic, it, it should be Michael Fassbender. Um, oh, very cool. Yes, I, but, I can see that. Yeah. So, uh, but no, that's cool. I'm looking forward to that connection, and we'll we'll be talking about that. Uh, uh, I think we're talking about that in your segment, right, Michelle? About what? Uh, oh no, wait, no, we're gonna build. Yeah, actually, no, no, never mind. No, you're talking. Dumb no, before. mine's a Dunwich horror. Yeah, mine's I'm sorry. Deep, so. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, spaced out. But don't worry, I've got the audio and everything. Um, but yeah, we we'll uh, we'll talk about that. Actually, you know what? It's time for break. So let's go ahead and do that now. And uh, when we come back, we'll uh, get into some more audio. And I do have a little bit of audio from Beyond Witch Mountain that Eddie Albert returned uh, to, but the uh, kids were recast in it. That was from, I think, 1982. But yeah, we'll have some fun. Uh, but hang tight. We'll be right back. We've got some Green Acres audio and all kinds of other fun stuff. It's going to confirm what a lot of people have always thought. You're a dingbat. And now, on with the show. You're some sort of weirdo? It's going to be a good night. Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish undertaking. Something evil. It came from Cleveland. And forgot to take a left turn in Albuquerque. Not recommended for impressionable children. Not in the slightest. Although I think impressionable children might want to follow in the footsteps of the late great Eddie Albert. Uh, welcome back to the show, everybody. Uh, hello there, Joe. Good afternoon. Good evening. Uh, Miles, welcome back. Hello, hello. And Michelle, hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello. Just doing some spring cleaning. Ah, uh, I hear that. So, uh, all right. Uh, oh, let's get back to it. Uh, our Eddie Albert chat here. Um, I got a little bit more audio, and then uh, Joe, will uh, you can regale us with your uh, connections here momentarily. Um, but, uh, there is, um, uh, I, I found, uh, an interesting appearance that he did on, uh, the series combat from 1963 season two, episode seven, uh, called Doughboy, where, uh, in, in miles, you might get a kick out of this episode. Uh, um, the, uh, uh, Phil, um, oh, I'm sorry. The character's name is Phil, uh, that Eddie Albert plays. And he meets, of course, Vic Morrow's character, uh, Sergeant um, uh, Sergeant Saunders. Uh, and, of course, there's another Twilight Zone connection. The, the, uh, sadly, 
Vic Morrow was killed in the helicopter crash in the Twilight Zone film. Uh, but um, so so Miles uh, uh, Saunders, uh, Sergeant Saunders is out in, in you know, um, I, I, I don't know exactly what the location was for the episode. I didn't get a chance to watch the whole thing. Um, but uh, he stumbles across a guy, Eddie Albert's character, Phil, dressed in World War One uh, infantry, uh, you know, gear. Uh, when it's they're actually fighting in World War Two, so it's kind of an interesting interaction. I need to watch the entire episode. I'm assuming um, he some. I, I don't know if he he had some kind of um, you know shell shock or PTSD or something like that, or or was you know uh, stranded uh, wherever he was and thought the war was still going on. But it was an interesting little interaction. You might get a kick out of this. Who are you? What are you doing going around in that old uniform? Look, my name is Saunders. I'm a sergeant. Sergeant United States Army. Now, you saw all my men. Do you think we're all spies? Maybe this is your jumping off place. You're going to infiltrate all along the line. You did it before, once up at the mine. There's a magpie. Oh, we got droves of them back home. What a racket they make. Where's home? Indiana. You ever hear of it? Sure, I've been there. Yeah? Uh, there's a song. On the banks of the... What? On the banks of the Wabash. Hey, you're pretty well trained there, Fritzy. <laughs> Won't do you no good, though. We're too smart for you. We're going to take your von Hindenburg and wrap him up and ship him back to President Wilson for Christmas. Look, whoever you are, it's not von Hindenburg, it's not President Wilson. It's Hitler and President Roosevelt, and this is World War II. Bad mistake. Teddy Roosevelt ain't been in office for years. <laughs> so That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was pretty clever uh, dialogue. And, of course, you know, Eddie Albert's character had him at gunpoint um, and, and thought that, you know, he was a spy because he didn't recognize the uniform or anything. And uh so and and you know that show i i'm not familiar with that show at all i think i'd like to go back and watch that combat with vic morrow so oh yeah that was a i used to watch that every week yeah that it, was it a big looked, show looked pretty slick and uh i looked like most of the episodes are available for free on youtube uh mm -hmm. legal legally or not i don't know uh <laughs> but uh that's where i acquired this and um uh, all right, well, let's let's do uh, one of our... I've got two Green Acres. Um, <laughs> it was so hard to figure out what Green Acres clips to play because it's all so damn funny. Uh, I mean, Susan and I are in stitches every night, uh, you know, watching this. Uh, I mean, last night, it, it was the episode where they were, they were trying to paint the house, but... 
the 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 wood was too porous and it kept sucking up the paint. <laughs> and just and and just them trying to find the color of the paint because uh, Lisa said it she wanted it the color of the soap in this woman's bathroom. <laughs> And uh, it, it just, it was just, it, just the absurdity was great. But this is from season two, episode 25, uh, called Saucer Seat, the Saucer Season. And this is Eb's UFO story. <laughs> Eb, you must have been dreaming. No, sir. It was a real flying saucer. What did it look like? Well, uh, like this. Except it didn't have syrup on it. It's usually one of Lisa's hotcakes. Then it drops straight down. <laughs> How did that happen? Eb dropped a flying saucer on your plate. The saucer was a lot lighter than the hot cake. It didn't break anything when it came down. <laughs> Here's a real UFO. Unidentified food object. Just for that, no more hotcakes. You do love me. <laughs> the two fellows in the spaceship were shaped something like this. Edwin. You mean there were two fellows in it? Yes, ma'am. Although I think one of them was a girl, because the other fella kept kissing her. Kissing <laughs> her? He held a hatch open for her, too. He was a perfect gentleman. Except I think he was a girl. No. Yeah. He had the hair ribbon. What did she look like? Well, she had a cute little green face, and she was wearing a purple dress. And they came from outer space. They must have been, because no woman on Earth would wear a purple dress with a green face. <laughs> I've had enough flying saucer nonsense. They didn't call it a saucer. They called it a glipper. A glipper? Dregis. I guess that means yes. Because every time the feller in the purple dress said something to the girl, she'd nod her head and say Driggis. Except once, when she slapped his face and said Glowint. What do you think he said to her? Well, I think he... Yeah. you got to stop eating these things. I think they're affecting your brain. I don't know about my brain, but they sure aren't doing my stomach any good. Eb, are you through insulting Mrs. Douglas's cooking? Yes, sir. Then would you mind getting to work? I've got to go into Drucker's. I'd better go with you. Mr. Drucker will probably want to get out an extra on my siding. Uh, Ab, uh, may I give you a piece of friendly advice? You know, it's all right to tell the two of us about your wild hallucinations. But if this gets into print, it's going to confirm what a lot of people have always thought. You're a dingbat. <laughs> Oh, Eb. <laughs> so, uh, well, Joe, why don't, why don't you tell us about the uh, the uh, the connection uh, Bob Weatherwax was tell, telling you about between Green Acres and uh, Witch Mountain? Well, um, Escape to Witch Mountain, uh, I told you Bob did some brief work on that film. Um, I never saw the film, I mm -hmm. must confess. But is there a white German Shepherd in that film? I suppose there is. Ooh, um, that growls at uh, Eddie Albert at some point. It sounds familiar. Uh, because I, I was more obsessed with the black cat that was in it. But yeah, I, I, I can right. imagine. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Bob was telling me he, they called him in. Bob had a um, a white German Shepherd who they used in this film uh, briefly to 
when they were inter- interrogating um, Eddie Albert for some reason, um, and the the animal was supposed to growl, the shepherd was supposed to growl at him, and um, and bare its fangs. And uh, Bob Bob asked him. He said, uh, "Do you trust the dog?" He says, "No, but I trust you." <laughs> so uh, that was the only. But the actual the animal trainer on that movie. Okay, was named Henry Cowell. Henry okay. Cowell, Bob tells me, was a really nice guy. Uh, huh? No, I didn't say Excuse anything. Excuse me? I, oh. No, I don't think anybody said anything. He said he was a, a really nice guy and everything, uh, but he was the, the main animal uh, trainer on uh, Escape to Witch Mountain. Um, but they always had a... Uh, uh, animal supervisor they, he didn't actually train animals he would just be there to make sure that everything was you know humane and, and doing okay and and he would drive around and his name was ralph helfer ralph helfer used to drive around the studio with a station wagon <laughs> and in the station wagon he always would have a tiger <laughs> Oh my! Oh my! <laughs> in the back seat, Bob said he used to he used to have him, you know, sort of chained back there. But he said no one went near him <laughs> or his station wagon I, when he came around. That's a good security uh, system. That's better than the club. It was. Uh, <laughs> Ralph Helfer uh, was the animal supervisor on Escape to Witch Mountain, and was the animal supervisor on Green Acres. Well, so you know? there is the connection. There is the connection there. Uh, I've told you previously that Frank Inn supplied all the uh, animals on Green Acres. Yeah. And Frank Inn was uh, Bob's father's assistant and then went out on his own. And Bob actually helped Frank on Green Acres many times. Uh, but Ralph Helfer, Helf, Helfer is the, uh, the connection between the two because he was the animal supervisor on the lots there. So, uh, and the, he was a man with a station wagon and a, a tiger in the back. <laughs> I guess that was one of those early uh, car security systems. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, well, uh, you know, I, I know there's the old phrase, I've got a tiger in my tank, um, you know, for <laughs> for somebody who's got a, a, a jazzed <laughs> yeah. up car, but I got a tiger in my hatch. <laughs> yeah, I was unable to find the cut. Uh, any cuts on Escape to Witch Mountain where there's a white shepherd. It would have been Bob's white shepherd, Buck. Okay, okay. He, he really adored that dog, but it could have been a scene that didn't make the movie, too. You know, there's always that possibility. But Yeah, um, well, I never saw the movie, so you, you'd yeah. have to tell me. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll go back and watch because I think it's on Disney+. Plus. So, Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at the the cast right now, and they do list two animals. They don't list a cat, which annoys me. But they list a bear mm-hmm, yeah. called Bruno the Bear, mm-hmm. and they list a uh, a, a a horse. Um, the yeah. horse's name was Ott, but uh, the horse's mm-hmm. actual name in real life was Thunderhead. Yeah, uh, Bob tells me that uh, if you see there, Henry Cowell was what they referred to as a wrangler. Uh, so he he more had had things to do with uh, more wild type animals than than say dogs or something like that. So horses, bears, that would have been Henry Cowell's 
expertise. Okay, yeah. yeah. There is that's a, there cool are, though. There are some great pictures of Eddie Albert holding that lovely black kitty cat from. Uh, yeah, I know. oh, I love that cat. That cat's oh, gorgeous. He's cute. He's cute. So, um, yeah, and uh, oh, and by the way, I, you know, I wasn't even going to mention this. It just made me so mad, and I was so upset by it. But the other night, I went out. Uh, I went out back um, to uh, go to the garage, and uh, Tennessee was like ten feet away from me. And I opened the door and, and I saw him run as fast as he could towards the door. I, and he's never done this before. He did it once with a squirrel, but he's never done this before. It was at night. It was snowing. It was wet. It was muddy. And that little bastard, before I could get the door shut, I ha- he got through like three inches wide, hauling ass after a feral cat in the backyard, chased him <laughs> halfway around town. I'm running around. I'm talking to one of my neighbors, trying to find him and everything. She's like, yeah, he, they ran right out in front of my car and um, ran to the backyards. And like 15 minutes later, um, there he is wanting back in. And he's all freaked out. His tail's all big. And he's wet and standing there. And he and he was too scared to go inside. So I had to open the sliding glass door with all the cold air rushing in. And leave it open and walk like 20 feet away so he would run inside the house because he was like, he was so freaked out he didn't know what to do. He was literally on the fence about whether or not to come inside because he was on the top of the fence in the backyard (laughs) standing there. (laughs) So literally and figuratively, he was on the fence as to whether or not he was going to come back inside. And I was freaked out because he looked like he was going to jump over the edge. And he was so confused because he didn't know what the hell he was doing. He, it looked like he was going to try and launch himself into the window that was closed, obviously. Um, and uh, it was such a nightmare. So, But fortunately, it ended rather quickly. But um, but he's grounded. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, you know what they say uh, about cats and dogs. There you go. When you scold your dog. That's, your yes. dog. <laughs> That's when yeah. you scold your dog. Yeah. We're posting this in the chat for the people on the uh, podcast. And that's when you scold there your you cat. Throwing the middle you, finger. <laughs> the middle finger. But yeah, so he uh, he slept his little face off all day yesterday. Uh, um, but oh my God, I, I was I was just sick. So, um, but in, yeah, so bad boy, bad, bad boy. I can't mm, wait to get that boy. fence built in the backyard. It'll keep more of the strays out. Um, but, uh, so anyway, uh, but yeah, so, all right, well back to, uh, some audio here, uh, before we go to the break, cause we're going to have to go to break a little bit early because, uh, Adam's mythical minutes is a mythical five and a half minutes. <laughs> <laughs> And I have the new robots ready to go where a listener question for Francie will be answered tonight, whether or not she should keep her landline. Very interesting installment from the robots. But uh, yeah, so let's uh, let's see what we have left from Eddie Albert here. Um, this is, um, oh God, uh, from season five, episode 11, Ralph's nuptials. Uh, Ralph is going to get married. Um, uh, and uh, Lisa wants to help plan the wedding. And, of course, who pulls up in his truck? Mr. Haney, with a great, <laughs> with a great bargain uh, in expertise on wedding planning. May I make a suggestion? <laughs> Mr. Haney, I didn't hear your truck. 
Oh, well, that's easy explained. You see, the motor is tuned to such a high pitch, it can only be heard by dogs. <laughs> oh, now, shall we talk about the wedding? Yes, I'd like to hear it. Lisa, don't get involved with him. Mr. Douglas, how many weddings have you supervised? None. Then I'll thank you to keep your inexperience out of this. <laughs> now, the Haney Super Wedding Service Service comes in a package. We furnish everything except the bride and the bridegroom. Of course, we do supply a standby groom in case the real one don't show up. <laughs> that way you're not stuck with a lot of soggy hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> well, we don't intend to have... Now for the flower arrangements. I suggest that the altar be covered with a bower of nasty sturtiums. <laughs> nasty sturtium? Or, if you prefer, chrysanthemums. Oh, chrysanthemums. I can see that he don't know much about monotony. No, he doesn't. <laughs> Leading to the altar, I suggest a 75-foot red plush carpet. And the ceremony starts promptly at 3. Why does it have to start at 3? Uh, so as I can get the carpet back to the middle aisle of the Bijou Theater for their evening performance. <laughs> Now, on one side of the altar will be an organist, and on the other side, the tabernacle choir. What tabernacle choir? Oh. Well, you can have a choice, either the Salt Lake City or the Stankwell Falls. <laughs> now, I would recommend the Stankwell Falls choir. They have a better bass section. That's what I heard. Oh, now, where did you hear it? Now, we <laughs> come to the actual nuptiation part of the ceremony. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, I was afraid you were going to forget that. Now, to perform the wedding ceremony, you have a choice. Of a ship's captain, a judge who was turned down for the Supreme Court, <laughs> or a Dalai Lama. Of course, a wedding will have to be moved to Tibet if you want him. <laughs> Rob says she wants Mr. Drucker. A non-union justice of the peace? Well, she's known him all her life. It's all right with me. Of course, you realize if you furnish your own justice of the peace, there'll be a corkage charge. <laughs> what does that mean? What about the reception after the ceremony? Oh, well, I would suggest a buffet table laden with foods from all over the world. Melons from the island of cassava <laughs> and smoked salmon from the delta of the Nile, artichoke hearts from Abyssinia, and chicken livers. Where does that come from? Uh, usually from chickens. <laughs> I ought to... What about dancing? The wedding guest will dance to the music of the ever-popular John Philip Sousa. Oh. That's your favorite. He can't... Mr. Haney... What would this cost? A lot less than you think. I was thinking of a hundred dollars. Well, if you're willing to give up the melons from the island of Cassaba, we got a deal. <laughs> <laughs> melons from the Isle of Cassaba. <laughs> Bonotony. I love the Bonotony. <laughs> Just... <laughs> oh, God. Uh, oh, wow. I'm crying. Just all the made-up little weird linguistics on the show and the puns and the... Uh, oh, and God, they were talking about the... Yeah, Mr. Haney was trying to help them solve the problems like for painting the house when the house was too porous and it would absorb all the paint. And he said, well, you have to adjust the pour keys on the, uh, the pour key 
the pores on the house with a pore key and you need to find the pore key hole. <laughs> and I'm just like a pore key hole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was, Susan and I were just howling last night at that. And, um, and yeah, so, uh, but yeah, Mr. Haney he is, he's the Ted Cruz of green acres. Um, oh yeah. So <laughs> just smarmy. Um, but anyway, we, we should, uh, I'm not going to have time. If we have a little bit more time towards the end of the show, I'll play a clip of Eddie Albert from, um, beyond Witch mountain where they recast the kids, but brought him back. Um, but we got to go to break a little bit early cause I don't want to cut into miles time, uh, for online gaming. So coming up, uh, we've got Adam's, uh, mythical minute three. Uh, slightly extended version, and the robots answer Francie's question whether or not she should keep her landline. Fascinating stuff. We'll be right back. I think I'll have me a little drinky-winky. Rating for humans, and it came from Cleveland. This is Adam Hebert with Mythical Minute number three. It isn't easy being green. The stories of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table have captivated audiences for almost a thousand years. One of the most famous stories is that of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. J.R.R. Tolkien, a scholar of such stories, famously wrote a version of it in his lifetime. Here's how it goes. On New Year's Day in Camelot, King Arthur and his knights were partying hard, enjoying a bountiful meal of roasted meats and exotic vegetables. This stood in stark contrast to the peasants, who were lucky if they got some dog cheese for the holidays. As everyone was having a good time, the doors to the Great Hall burst open, and in rode a giant man on a horse with green skin. He wore no armor, and in one hand he had a magnificent axe, and in the other, a bow of holly. Looking upon the denizens of Camelot, he declared that they were too weak to fight him. Instead, he challenged them to a friendly Christmas game of decapitation, with whoever accepts his challenge gain to keep his axe. The terms are simple. Each contestant will be allowed one strike at the other's bared neck. To make things even more interesting, he declares that he'll allow for home court advantage and let the challenger go first. The knights still refuse this, and King Arthur is about to step in. But Gawain, the youngest knight and King Arthur's nephew, told the Green Knight that he would play his game and took the axe in his hands. The Green Knight bent over, bearing his neck to Gawain. Gawain strikes, severing the head completely, creating both a hail of blood and gore, as well as inventing the game of bowling. Soon the hall returns to feasting, until something happened that likely result until something happened that likely resulted in the most suits of soiled armor ever. The body of the Green Knight rose and collected its severed head. The head spoke to Gawain, telling him to meet him at the Green Chapel in a year and a day, so he could take his shot at Gawain's neck. He then left. After the year was nearly up, Gawain left Camelot to keep his end of the deal. He sought the Green Chapel, and eventually came across a castle with an old woman, a lord, and his lovely wife in residence. The lord told Gawain that the Green Chapel was no... The Lord told Gawain that the Green Chapel was located nearby and that he might as well stay at the castle as the Lord's guest to rest and prepare for his inevitable doom. Gawain accepts and stays for three days and three nights. 
The Lord says he will give Gawain whatever he hunts during these days, if Gawain will give him whatever he receives at the castle. Gawain agrees. Each day, the Lord's wife puts the moves on Gawain. The first day, he turns her down, but she gives him a single kiss. The Lord returns with a deer he caught, which he gives to Gawain in exchange for a kiss. The next day, the same thing happens, with the wife of the Lord trying to get into Gawain's armor. He gets her to stop with two kisses, which he exchanges with the Lord for a boar. On the final day, she almost gets what she wants, but Gawain still manages to turn her down. She offers him a gold ring as a keepsake, which he declines. She then gives him her green and gold sash, which she tells him will protect him from the Green Knight's axe. He takes this gift and receives three kisses. He exchanges the kisses with the Lord for a fox, but does not mention the magical sash. The next day, Gawain sets out for the Green Chapel, where he finds the Green Knight sharpening an axe. Gawain bears his neck to the giant man and he takes a swing. Gawain flinches, and the Green Knight belittles him for it. Gawain prepares himself for the next swing, but the Green Knight holds back, saying he was trying to test Gawain's courage. Gawain gets angry. After all, he's a very busy man. He doesn't have all day to have his head cut off. Get on with it! Finally, the Green Knight takes his blow, and Gawain finds that he has only been nicked. The Green Knight explains that he was actually the Lord Gawain had stayed with, transformed by the magic of the old woman he lived with, who was actually Morgan Le Fay in disguise. He further explains that Gawain's minor wound was a result of his dishonesty about the sash. Gawain feels bad, but the Green Knight just laughs it off, telling the boy no one was perfect. They then parted amicably as friends. Gawain then returns to Camelot, wearing the sash as a reminder to be honest and pure in his next adventure. So there you have it. This story does share a lot in common with ones from actual mythology, including one involving the Celtic hero Ku Kulin, which just goes to show how even medieval literature drew from its mythical forebearers. For Radio for Humans, and it came from Cleveland, this has been Adam Hebert with your Mythical Minute. Back to you, Kenny. Background music is Medieval Fantasy Adventure by Alexander Nakarada, who can be found at www.serpentsoundstudios.com. This is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Thanks, Alexander! It's time to check in with the robots. What is our listener question this week, Robit Fellow? Francie would like to know if she should get rid of her landline. Wow. That is a really good question. A line of land is quite an important thing to have. That's like a line of cocaine but it's made of dirt that will get you super high. This question gives me a great idea. Let's snort a landline and get super duper high. High as Robit Kites. Okay, let me roll up this British pound note so we can use it to snort up all the landline. Then we'll get extra specially high. Let's lose our robot minds. Say no more, sister. We're going to get sky high snorting dirt. Snort, 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 hack, cough, hack, woohoo. Are you getting something? I haven't even hit that stuff yet. Stop bogutting those landlines. Snort, 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 hack, cough, snort, wowie, wow, wow, wow. That's some choice dirt we are snorting through this British pound note I done rolled up to use for snorting dirt. I'm... I am. I'm feeling it. 
Can you taste the colors? I feel like I'm on a UFO. Wow. Landlines get me super duper high as a robot kite. I'm on the Eiffel Tower of crazy drug time. I also feel like I'm on a UFO because I got so holy hell high huffing this potent dirt through this rolled up britches sound tote. Hang on one second. I think we are actually on a UFO. What is going on here? I'm having a bad trip man. I need some help here. Gleep. Glorp. Glap. Glodgo. I am your alien abductor. You snorted up all the landlines on Earth and I was left with no choice but to intervene as your actions have threatened the existence of your home world. Oh no. You are harshing my mellow alien fellow. Get back Jack. Yeah? What is the idea of messing with our minds? We only wanted to snort up some choice landline. You don't understand. Your actions have caused cellular telephones to become sentient overlords. Without landlines to ground them, they have run amok and taken over your planet. I suggest you sneeze all of those choice landlines you snorted back onto the Earth to ensure you planet doesn't fall to cellular overlords. Here is some ground pepper. Use that rolled up British pound boat and huff on it now before it's too late. I guess we better do it so the cellular overlords don't create a bunch of monkey business for the Earth. Yes. You're correct. I will abandon this delectable high for the greater good. Bring on the pepper alien boy. Snort snort. Snort snort. Achoo. Achoo. Oops. It's too late. You got rid of all the landlines and the cellular overlords have destroyed your planet. Better luck next time you dirt huffing robots. Or shucks. Whatever. Oh, those wacky robots. Thanks so much. Be sure to send your listener questions to Kenny Pick for the robots to answer. Did you say wild parsley? No, landlines. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, those dirt huffing robots. Anyway, uh, welcome back. Thanks to Adam Hebert for that. Thanks to Kill the Hippies, too, for all the great music earlier in the program. And no thanks to you dirt huffing robots. <laughs> um, I do enjoy, uh, you know, asking them questions and having them come up with their ludicrous answers. But, um, yeah, so uh, be sure to send your questions to me if you want them to answer one. Livin', I don't think uh, you've had them, uh, you've asked them a question yet. So, uh, go for it. Uh, any of our listeners, please. I, I would like extra questions to have on board. And, uh, oh, good, our friend President is out there. I hope President's enjoying yes. the new show. So... But, uh, yeah, so uh, here we go. Uh, we're going to get back into things. Miles uh, is going to impart some knowledge on us about some online gaming that you partake in and uh, have fun with and uh, that, uh, you know, maybe might be able to help uh, people deal with the pandemic, right? It's almost as if online gaming was built to deal with the, da- uh, the pandemic. Um, yeah, yeah. I a, a lot of people already uh, in... Our audience and whatnot are familiar with uh, the Jackbox games. I'm going to give that a quick once over. Um, So it has a wide variety of games available that can that that cover a whole gamut of everything. There's even a little, you know, 
uh, rock them and sock them kind of a game. But most games are, um, you know, typing, uh, you know, word games and, and uh, trivia. Drawing. Yeah. That, that, that kind of stuff. So, uh, but it handles a, a wide variety of players and a lot more than the normal games. The reason, the reason I'm bringing this up is you do not require the game to play it. It only requires one person to own the game and host it, which Michelle has done. And as, if I'm not mistaken, is there not a, a new version of Jackbox coming out there? There's already one. Oh, it's out now? Out. Yes. Woo-hoo! All right, yes. so more than likely she will pick that up real quick. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is I'm going to extend an offer out to our listening audience and, and whatnot for uh, maybe it's once a month. I'm thinking of, um, you know, I'll pick a Wednesday. That's a nice day that we usually do our games on to invite people to come in and, jo- you know, just play online. Just join us in some games of, uh, you know, Jackbox. And there's other mm-hmm. games I'll be mentioning, but those don't have as many player options. But, uh, you know, we'd, we'd love to, you know, have you on board and play with us. And, and uh, so I'm just, I was just going to extend that out there. So that's Jackbox. And uh, they're easy, quick, easy to learn. There's, there's no, it's, it's painless. Yeah. And uh, Joe, it, Joe actually has, Joe has actually played uh, uh, before with us as well. So is Trojan Rabbit. Yes. So I'm, I'm just going to extend it out. Maybe we could put some, uh, I don't know, generic announcement in the chat or something to uh, sure. say, like, hey, we're, we're going to do a, a, like, maybe the first Wednesday of every month or every other month. or You know, it doesn't have to be every weekly. Mm-hmm. Obviously, people have things to do. But just something for, I, I was just extending that out, just as something for, uh, you know, as long as we're all trapped in home, <laughs> not going out and dealing with the crazies, you know. Just for sure yeah it's yeah i also own all these games and have played with uh, quite a few folks uh everybody here on the show and the Sues and like i said trojan rabbit and caitlin chris have played all kinds of folks have played so uh a lot of fun a lot of fun stuff uh and again you don't have to be a gamer to play these because they're more like party games that you would yes. just you know have uh, you know if, if you can play trivial pursuit or scattergories or something like that you can play these games Right, yeah. It's just little trivia games, or there's some like drawing games or rap games. Those are not my favorite, but yeah, they're, those <laughs> I are love those. I uh, love yeah. those. <laughs> Every, everybody's got a favorite, but you know that's yeah. Eh. So that that that's that's uh so that's Jackbox. Uh, so I'm gonna touch on some other games that um, I I may have mentioned before on the the, the um board games. There are um, now these are the ones that you will have to buy, and um, it, so you know they're, they're not that expensive. I think we're talking. Michelle knows better than I do. Like ten bucks. They usually run nine. between around, I guess, between like seven ninety nine to twelve ninety nine for the mm-hmm. you know for for a lot of them. So yeah, so it's not that. And there are expansions, but you don't need to get the expansions. We can play games without expansions. But if you do like the game. And that's an expansion that opens our options. So anyway, uh, the Lords of Waterdeep will handle up to, I believe, five players. And if you add on some expansions, it'll go up to six players. Um, it is based on the D&D uh, campaign setting of Forgotten Realms, the city of Waterdeep, which is also known as the City of Splendors. You play a uh, anonymous lord. 
of the city. There are there are sixteen anonymous lords that you know that they're anonymous because that's how they rule. They, they can, they, you know, it, the, the, it's their shield. Not knowing people, not knowing who they are. Anyway, so as this lord, you're going around, you're maneuvering your agents to uh, collect resources and fulfill missions. Missions can uh, are of a different type. Some are pious in nature. Others deal with mer merchants. Some are about thieving, skullduggery type stuff. There's yeah. warfare. And anyway, so you're, you're, you're these all these different missions to accomplish. There are buildings to send your agents to to acquire these resources. And once you uh, finish quests and you get uh, victory points over the course of the game, there's more than one way to win. So it depends on your strategy. Your, your hidden lord gives you bonuses, but you don't have to stick to them, but they do help. So uh, yeah, that's uh, Lords of Waterdeep. I it's one of my favorite games. I, and, I I enjoy it. So and to categorize this game, it's a um, it's a resource management game, correct? It is resource management. Yes. So uh, like Settlers similar, of Catan would be yeah. a resource management as well. Yeah, I think Settlers of Catan is probably the most popular of those that that uh, type of board game. I mean, for the, at least the you know one of the the oldest uh, more yes. popular ones. Yes, it is also available online, but I have I haven't played it or owned it or it's but it's available. But uh, yeah, yeah. So most of these games, uh, you'll have to probably go to an account, which is easy enough to do. It's free. Uh, Steam is um, one of the more popular ones that have all these games, including like Talisman, which we've played with Kenny and Adam. Uh, mm -hmm. That's how we actually all first met, if I'm not mistaken, getting uh, socially, to, you know, if, uh, if I recall. Uh, how, how many years ago was that? Three? Well, I, 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 you know, that's a good question on how we, uh, because I think we met through the show, right? I mean, the old show. Uh, I think I think we were, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Michelle was really into the chatting on the Stephanie Miller, and I think it was... Who, who brought you over? Was it like president or somebody? It's so long ago, but right. So that's Memories how we found out your show was because of people that were in Stephanie's yeah. chat and also listen, uh, you know, listen to your show. And so we migrated over and, uh, you know, and it went from there. But yes, yeah. I mean, yes, we were. I mean, yeah, we were, we were listening to your show. And then, you know, eventually like, hey, do you, we own Talisman. Hey, we own Talisman. And we all started playing Talisman. And that went from there. Yeah, yeah. So, so and we can, that's my favorite board game of all time. So when I found out there was a digital edition coming out, I mean, let let me just say this: I I, I love Talisman so much, and Michelle has been doing uh, uh, a, a long, but uh, and I appreciate it that you know uh, because you've got a lot of other things going on. But you for you for for a while now, you've been working on painting my actual plastic miniatures for the edition that I have. But I don't have anybody to, to play with here, so it doesn't matter if you have them for ten years, you know. Um, uh, but uh, the um, uh, and, and the miniatures are beautiful. If you want to share pictures of uh, any of them with with folks, I know you just did the grave digger. Just completed one. You saw the picture of that, the, right? The grave the, digger. The it's diorama. remarkable. Oh God, right. I, I was I was drooling. It's so cool. Um, and, um, no, you're just doing a, an amazing job on that. But the great thing about Talisman, the digital edition is the cleanup. <laughs> True. Because there are so many decks of cards in that damn game and so many pieces and tokens and miniatures and dice and just everything. And the, 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 the teardown is about, 
oh, you know, I I, I think it, good twenty minutes to make sure it's done right, you know. Uh, so it, uh, yeah, it, 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 it's a fun game though. There's a mm-hmm. lot to do. There's more than one way. Well, there. It's, it depends on the victory conditions that you set. But anyway, the, yeah, yeah. yes, you, there can, he you is. can strategize you, about where to go, who to fight, all that stuff. Yeah, it's all good. But uh, I know, uh, Michelle, is it a secret what you're working on now, the figure? Yes. It's a secret. I can't tell you. Oh, no. Oh, it's okay. But I will tell you this. It was um, warped, and I took out the heat gun, and I... Oh. to make it less warped so it's it's more betterer <laughs> yeah so basically and, so, it, and you fixed another one too you one of them had a broken uh uh hammer or something hammer. like that yes and, the yeah. angel uh, or, uh i don't know i don't remember yeah. what, what, what what was that one called right yeah it had a broken hammer archangel and, or something uh, i remounted it yes and uh yes this one's got another problem too that i'm going to be directly addressing tomorrow but i've already fixed one problem with warped warped that- Figs. That yeah. wizard I just posted was from another version of the Talisman game that we I painted for our home our home version of it. Yeah, so. that's gorgeous. All of them have been amazing. So, uh, yeah, oh, the, the, we, the werewolf, crazy good talent. She is. She's yeah. very gifted. Uh, so, next game I want to uh, touch on is one called. This one is more. This one is. I think it's also a resource management, but it's um. Can, it's called Takenoko. Can and I it, put uh, links to these on Steam or no? Mm, I don't see why not. I was just asking you. It's your Discord channel, so I wanted to make Oh, sure. no, it's our Discord channel. You can put links to porn in there if you want. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Challenge accepted. So, uh, no, I'm kidding. I wouldn't do porn. Just only hentai. What? So, uh, Taken, Takenoko. It's uh, a game about growing bamboo. Uh, it sounds weird, but there are it, what you are is you're a, um, a gardener, and you are trying to create the most beautiful or accomplish certain objectives to create the most beautiful garden for the emperor. In the process, and there's different color bamboo. There's different color tiles that you can put together. There's ways mm-hmm. to. There's different strategies of how you irrigate and all this. It, it sounds, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, it, it's, anyway, it's a resource management. It's fun. It's online. And uh, it's just a different game. I, I enjoy it. Um, it. It's, and there's a panda that runs around the board randomly sometimes and eats bamboo and destroys things. <laughs> <laughs> because pandas eat bamboo. <laughs> but Kind of like um, the Grim Reaper that, in Talisman. Yes, yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, that, that, no end of fun there. Uh, this one is next game I'm going to touch on is not a resource management game. It's called Suro. It starts with a t- capital T, S U R O. And that is called The Game of the Path. That, this was an award winning game. And uh, online, it is, I, I enjoy the hell out of it. Again, no cleanup, no any. It's a very simple game. There's a little more intrigue involved with uh, how you play it. Basically, each tile is unique, and a tile has lines that connect one of eight positions. And there, and so when you place a tile, your uh, token will move along the line to a new position. 
-hmm. And your goal is to stay alive until you're the last person alive. Because eventually, as the tiles get placed, one of two things is going to happen. One, you run off the board and you're eliminated. Two, you, you run into somebody else and both of you are eliminated. So, the, and uh, it, it's 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 not a complicated game. It's simple, elegant. Um, the music I love. It's just calming. If it's a great yeah. way to do a de stress of the day. If you've ever, did you ever play that one, Kenny? No, but it, it sounds uh, interesting and fun. It is. I, I do highly recommend it. And that game, if I'm not mistaken, sweetie, that has also an eight player potential. So I'm not, yes, yes, I think so. that's a high potential one. But again. It's one that had to be purchased, unlike uh, 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 Jack Box games. Yeah, but again, you're not recommending games that cost like as much no. as a, a console. Oh no, 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 like no, no, no. These games do not cost a lot. No. Yeah. And uh, not a fifty dollar so PlayStation game. Right. Uh, so the next one I'm going to touch on is called Ticket to Ride, and uh, this is a resource management game. game. It's about building railroads. Mm -hmm across the continental United States. Uh, so you're basically a railroad tycoon, and you're given a, a few missions to accomplish. When I say missions, uh, basically it's like you need to transport cargo. I'm just going to throw out some random cities from like Miami to San Francisco. And if you complete this path, you get bonus points. And, uh, and there's all the cards are unique. So it's connecting any of the random cities, like Boston to Washington or uh, Atlanta to uh, San Diego or something like that. Anyway, all the car there, it's a resource management, so you are picking different colored cards, and when you collect enough of a certain color, you can complete a rail tie that connects uh, from one city to another. And there's random colors here and there and what have you. So this one requires a little more thought and, and uh, stra strategic planning. <laughs> I almost mm -hmm. said strategery. I'm I'm so used to, to, to diving back into uh, stupid words that <laughs> from history. Sorry. No, anyway, okay. So uh, ticket to ride. It's also yeah. It's a management game where uh, you get victory points for accomplishing certain things. Like there's one for uh, uh, there's a bonus for get having the longest continuous uh, rail. There's. Uh, Bonus, you get points for every piece of t uh, t uh, railroad you lay down. Uh, a, a single one is not nearly, it's only one point versus like a six, which is the longest. You lay down a six length tile uh, uh, line and you get major points. So that's another way to win the game. Okay. Very good. Um, so there are other games right now. I think I've hit all the ones right now. We are playing a, a one called Valheim. This okay. is a, uh, a massive multiplayer game. This one, if anyone is a fan of Viking mythology, basically you died. And your soul has been transported to Valheim, which is a, its own um, world of just nature, basically. And you are re building your heavenly home, if you will. And so you you go out and you collect wood, you collect stone, you collect metal, and uh, you, there's 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 uh, animals, uh, deer, boar, that kind of stuff. But there's also little nasty monsters in heaven for 
<laughs> for whatever reason. Anyway, so there are other gods to fight and what have you. As you get better, as you get more uh, skilled and uh, you gain access to things, it's a, also a building game. Uh, or is is has any, is anyone familiar with the game Minecraft? Uh, yeah, I've never played it, but my nephews have you know been right. fans. So Minecraft is a huge game about building, and there's also, it, uh, but it's it's like um, Fisher Price Price ish. Uh, kind of Lego. It's very yeah. blocky. Very cubist. It's all cubes. Garbage. <laughs> Pixelated. But this game has that potential to build. So you can um, make some very elegant looking buildings out of wood or stone. And uh, it, it has a nice old Viking feel to it. Um, and uh, I, I've been enjoying it. We've been playing it now. How long have we been playing this one? About three weeks? Yeah. yeah. It just came out. So it's still in its. Uh, you know, early stages, and there are you know things that get fixed and what have you. But mm -hmm. I would just throw it out an invitation. Michelle runs her own server, so if anyone wishes to join us, if you get the game, we'll give you the information, and boom, you're in with us, and you're playing, and you can you can go off on your own. You can play with us if you wish, you know. But yeah. uh, I, I know I'm enjoying it. So it's uh, if you're into Viking myth, you know, Viking stuff, it's it's not a it's not a bad little game. All right, so I'll I could keep talking about other games, but I think I pretty much hit every game I really wanted to talk about. I'll, I'll field some questions if you have, uh, Kenny. Did you did you want to mention something or uh, favorite um, moments or games? you know I you know one of my favorite uh, tabletop games, which I wish would be uh, could be a multiplayer online, and I don't know if it is, but if I if uh, if you ever played Formula D, it's a race car game. I've seen actually. I yes, uh, that it, game. I've we have a comic book store friend, and I have seen the game there. It is fun. It is fast paced. The board is beautiful. The you know the the, the, the playing pieces are fun. Um, it's a really neat game, and it, it, that one's relatively affordable. It's only like forty four bucks uh, for the board game version uh, or tabletop version, but. Um, yeah, it would be you know that one. It would be nice to see that one uh, developed into a uh, uh, a digital game. But no, everything you're talking about, I'm I'm pretty much familiar with. And holy smokes, Michelle just put the mother load of um, the miniatures you've painted for me in there. Oh my goodness, the illusionist. Yes. Uh, very nice. Oh so, yeah, she that that was a crazy fig. Yeah, that's it's she is so, being so very horrible. true to the uh, the looks of those figs. So she she researches and pulls up the card for yeah. the game and how they're painted, and sticks directly to what you see on um, uh, you know how they are supposed to look. I think I would probably be like a kid in a candy store looking through your paints, Michelle. Oh yeah, well I I've got like two boxes full of them, so. Yeah, you know I've the got the one a, she didn't stay true to was the toads though. She kind of went. Crazy oh, those are toads. great. Those are great. But, I mean, they should be really super unique because you know, uh, you know, easier to tell them apart. And you know, even though they do have toads, different my favorite. Stands. Yeah, so. I did a hypno toad. <laughs> Had to do a hypno toad. <laughs> Why not? But no, no, thank you, Miles. That you know, the, the all great uh, choices. Again, I'm familiar with uh, all of the games. Uh, you know. Two of them, thanks to you, and a couple of them, uh, well, except for the the bamboo one. Um, that, but um, just learned about that tonight. 
Right. So I'm going to reissue the invitation. Maybe we'll, you know, set up a <laughs> um, a schedule for, you know, like say uh, we're fast approaching May. We mm-hmm. could just say the first Wednesday of a month we'll have a game day that's open. And actually, you know what? We play Wednesday every Wednesday anyway. Yeah. Come and join us. <laughs> there you but, go. Uh, you know, there, there, there's no need to schedule it, but uh, but I will put out reminders. We'll put out there, you know, and uh, maybe throw it up on Facebook, what have you. you know, yeah, and, and if you need an invite us. to my chat, uh, I'd be more than happy to send one to you. Well, there you go. Very cool. All right. And maybe we'll drag Joe kicking and screaming into a Jackbox game again sometime soon. Well, not, you don't have to drag me. Well, can I if I want to? Well, you can't. Yeah. Okay. Sure. All right. By the scruff. But you are always welcome, Joe. <laughs> if you ever want to play a silly game, there you well, go. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. So I love and, silly games. Well, you're a silly man. I am. I'm a silly, silly guy. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, oh, instead of playing uh, uh, transition music, we'll do something special. Uh, happy birthday to Lee Majors. Here's the beginning of the $6 million man. We'll be right back for our hour three of It Came From Cleveland right after this. Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. We have the capability to make the world's first bionic man. Steve Austin will be that man. Better than he was before. Better. Stronger. Faster. Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the visible soul who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror. And you're invited. A foolish unto you. Something evil. I came from Cleveland and ordered tackles from DoorDash. Not recommended for impressionable children. Well, you can give kids tacos from DoorDash. I don't see why that would be a problem. Yeah, I just got a really creepy... Uh, sorry for the dead air there for a second. I got a, There's a really creepy video on my rear camera of the shadow of a person, like, darting. But not an actual person, because it would have tripped the other camera, too. It was like a shadow that came from a neighboring yard that ran in front of the car lights or something, but it was still creepy. Eerie. Ooh. And it came from Cleveland, literally. Uh, welcome back to the show, uh, Joe and Miles. Uh, thank you for all your fun contributions tonight. And uh, now it's time to uh, uh, find out a little bit about uh, a horror classic from Michelle. So, Michelle, um, should I go ahead and uh, run the trailer, or uh, would you like to set it up? 
Yeah, run the trailer first. All right, let me just load that up real quick, and here we go. The nights are darker. And night is when it happens in the Dunwich Horror. Come back, old one. Princes of darkness. And repossess the earth. The Dunwich Horror. Based on H.P. Lovecraft's terrifying tale of those who explore the unspeakable. Starring Sandra Dee, Dean Stockwell, Academy Award winner Ed Begley, Sam Jaffe. The history of horrendipity written here. The love story of a girl looking to the future. And a boy dedicated to the mysteries of the past. He invokes the unspeakable. Yeah. Safa. She invites it. You're one of us now. paradise of terror where fear eternal lives and the dead come to life I've never heard anything like that ooh 1970s spookiness Yes, yes. Um, it is. It is an interesting movie. Um, of course, it's got our birthday girl in it, Sandra D. Um, that's right, and her plays, first adult role. Yeah, she plays uh, the heroine that's uh, being lured into, uh, into into the world of Cthulhu by, um, and she doesn't really realize it by Dean Stockwell. Um, but I have a little trivia about this before we get into the clips I have chosen. Sure. Um, uh, Sandra Dee was uh, widely considered miscast. Um, she was 33 years old when playing this character. And the character was a, a college girl in her early 20s. Okay. So, and that's, you know, but, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't look that, she doesn't look, you know, like it, it, in her mid-30s. So, you know, and, and that's one of the things I, that, that ticks me off sometimes about Hollywood is, is the way women are treated as they get older. Oh, and absolutely. It, it, it's, it's repugnant. Yeah, it, it bothers me. Um, this movie had uh, Dean Stockwell as uh, Wilbur uh, Waitley, but Peter Fonda actually turned down the role. That, that's so unlike him because that guy would be in any stink pot movie for a while there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> After Easy Rider was all downhill. <laughs> There were two other actors that were on the list for uh, for for that role as well that they, you know they were considering. One was uh, Kier Dulay, I think his name is. Kier Dulay. 
-hmm. Yep, he was in 2001 Space Odyssey and Black Christmas. So there's some horror chops for you. Nice. And, of course, the other actor that was uh, uh, on the short list was David Carradine. Also, if he t if it, and now if he would have turned it down, I would have known the world was upside down. Yeah, that they guy, finally <laughs> he was he was like Roger Corman's uh, go-to guy. Yeah, they um, they uh, they, they yeah they they, they uh, Dean Stock they went with Dean Stockwell over those two, but they would have rather have had Peter Fonda. So I I found that quite interesting. Dean Stockwell also started out as a child actor, um, and of course many folks will remember him from his classic roles in Blue Velvet, Dune, and of course Quantum Leap. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The the reboot. When um when the movie premiered in London, it uh was on a double bill with the Oblong Box starring Vincent Price. And the Oblong Box is a Poe story, right? Correct. Yep. So Poe and Lovecraft, they fit nicely together. Oh yeah. Well Lovecraft the, the Lovecraft would probably wouldn't have been the man he was without Edgar Allan Poe. Right. Um, it's, it's quite, quite an amazing, quite an amazing, uh, double, double bill there. Um, in the, the, the film itself, um, it features the parents of several future stars. Um, the film has Ed, Ed Begley in it. That's right. Um, it has, uh, Lloyd Bachner, who's the father of Hart Bachner, who, um, if you don't recognize that name, he was the voice of Arthur Reeves in Batman Mask of the Phantom Phantasm. Oh, cool. And he also played Doc in Terror Train. You know, there you know, Terror Train with Jamie Lee Curtis. So there you go. There's there's another little horror horror um, kickback there. You know, while you're mentioning uh, uh, voice actors in animation, just a quick trivia bit. Uh, I didn't get to mention this earlier, but Eddie Albert did the voice of Adrian Toomes, aka the Vulture the older version of the character in Spider-Man, the animated series from 97, I believe. Yeah, I so, saw that on his thing. So, anyway, but I didn't mean to digress, but I did. Go ahead. <laughs> it's okay. Um, and another one, uh, Talia Shire, uh, billed as Talia Coppola, was the mother of Jason Schwartzman, known for playing uh, uh, Josto Thada in the Fargo TV series. Interesting. That's very cool. You know, I'll tell you what. When we're there is some interesting stuff when we get to some um, when eventually when we get to Perry Mason. Oh my God, <laughs> we're going to talk about some family histories there from. Uh, uh, but uh, it, it's so funny going through all the, this old history. Uh, you know, not old history, but Hollywood history, and seeing all the connections. But yeah, um, there's a connection yeah, it, between. It, uh, yeah, it's it's. It I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, there's a connection between Perry Mason and the greatest American hero, if anybody can believe that. There are a lot of connections. I wouldn't. I would not be surprised because Perry Mason had a lot of stars in it too. A mm. lot of people that shifted, you know, went from TV show to TV show. So yeah. there's going to be a lot of connections. Yeah. Um. Here's an inter another bit of trivia about um, some of the symbol symbology they used in the movie itself. Um. What's funny is <laughs> the the odd symbol that appears again and again um, on Wilbur's ring, on his grandfather's staff, the design on the main floor, 
it actually has nothing to do with Cthulhu, nothing to do with Lovecraft lore. Mm -hmm. it, they actually they actually copped the symbol from Native American folklore. And the symbol is commonly turned Thunderbird in the sun. Hmm. So it's it's another one of those things where they took something that looked, you know, some some a set designer or something saw that somewhere and went, "Ooh, we can use that," and completely ignoring the history behind it. Yeah, cultural appropriation time. Yep. <laughs> and and the last one, last bit is 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 kind of interesting to me. Um, there were two sound stages being used uh, for the filming of Sander D's supposed nude scene. Uh -huh. um, this was this was done to prevent peeping toms. One soundstage was used to shoot the scene, and the other was used to house the cast that were not needed in the shoot. Ah. And and if you watch those scenes very carefully, Sandra D has an amazing, miraculous superpower. Her nails grow and shrink oh. back and forth with the scenes. <laughs> So what what you think what 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 is what is thought about it is there was a body double being used and her manicure was about maybe a quarter of an inch, you know, uh shorter <laughs> than Sandra D's was, but it's very, very evident. Yeah. Yeah, those those scenes were definitely not shot for crystal clarity, you know. And um, a little bit of trivia about Dean Stockwell is he's in this movie. He's playing Wilbur Waitley. Mm -hmm. In the, 19, the 2009, I think it is, version, he plays the doctor, Dr. Armitage. Oh, okay. And Jeffrey Combs plays Wilbur Waitley. Who is famous for uh, being in uh, Reanimator. Right, other Lovecraft, you know, productions. Mm -hmm. So it's, 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 it's kind of funny though that that Dean Stockwell plays the role, you know, and the, you know the the villain role, and then he plays the the professor role, which is cool. No, that's great. I, I I do love Dean Stockwell. He's terrific. I do too. Um, but uh, getting on to the movie, you know, things are always not going to go well when right at the beginning they bring up the book oh yeah it's a little thing called what is what's it called if you take the necronomicon and return it to the library i'll meet you there as soon as i can doctor don't forget we're picking up for dinner i'll be there and you take good care of that book <laughs> <laughs> yeah because that book never causes any trouble does it no no <laughs> not <laughs> no. at all and, and it's definitely something you want to lend out to the creepy man that comes into the library. Yeah. You know, famous <laughs> last words. <laughs> mm -hmm. Written by Abdul Alhazred. Transcribed yes. by Abdul Alhazred. So that would be D. Uh, that would be the next one. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. You were queuing me. I apologize. So uh, no, it's okay. I'm sorry. Come on, give me five minutes. Absolutely not. Wait a minute. I, I don't suppose it would do any harm. What harm? It never harm? does any harm, does it? No, no, no. And um, you know, and, and and you know, the book itself is it's it, it's it's you know, it's a classic book. Everybody knows about this book, and everybody knows you never read from the book 
aloud. Yog Sathoth is the gate whereby the spheres meet. Only them from beyond can make it multiply and work. Yog Sathoth is the key. And with the gate open, the old ones shall be. Past, present, future, all are one. The old ones walk serene and primal, undimensioned and unseen. The old ones broke through of old, and they shall break through. Somebody who had wanted to have, you know, to look at that book as badly as he did, he'd have more emotion in his voice. <laughs> Perhaps. It sounded like he was reading the instructions off of a, a laundry box, you know, a box of laundry <laughs> detergent, you know? <laughs> yeah, or stovetop stuffing. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> at, yeah. Um, yeah, the Whateleys had an interesting history. I mean, one of their, one of their ancestors was hung from a tree. And the villagers left him hanging from that tree um, for days and days and days. And then instead of taking his body down, they decided to burn the tree down. So there you go. Um, and that just makes them really, really uh, superstitious fools, doesn't it? Boy, I could never get used to treatment like that. They've treated me that way since the day I was born. They never change. They're still the same frightened Superstitious fools. Yeah, it's like my neighbors who don't take their Christmas decorations down until March. <laughs> yes, yes. But yeah, so yeah, you know, when you when you go to a gas station and you pull in and you want a full tank of the gas and the guy sees who's riding in the car with you and only gives you a buck's worth, that sucks. <laughs> but um yeah, um, another thing I don't have the clip for it, but uh as as the movie progresses, uh one of the things that irritates me a little bit is a gratuitous use of an animal for no particular reason i i think you think you would agree with me joe um the one of the, the actresses is walking up to the house where she's trying to find her friend that being played by sandra d and uh there's an owl sitting on the the uh railing on the porch Who? and it just hoots as she walks by and she doesn't even give the owl a second thought. It's sitting right there on the railing. <laughs> Who? What? Who? What? Who? Who? <laughs> 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 the owl. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's why I did the what. There you go. Um, and um, then you just found out, you realize that the, uh, the grandson, you know, Dean Stockwell's character is just sick, sick, sick of his grandfather. You disgust me. You've taken their abuse and you've given up. They've broken you. But the old ones are coming back. I'm going to let them through. Family reunion. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then some. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, no, these clips are great. Yeah, it, it, it's funny because, you know, what happens when you have a family that's really creepy and the son's back in town and, you know, pe people are starting to talk about rumors? You know, you got to get out your pitchforks. You do. 
And is that the cue for the last clip? Yeah, that's the cue for the last. Oh, oh sorry. Yeah. Oh wait, not that one. <laughs> oh. Yeah. That's. That's the only other one I have. Oh okay. It didn't work. <laughs> oh, so. Sorry. No, I thought I had I had one through six. Was there a seventh one? Oh yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. No, I I goofed up. I I skipped ahead. It's my fault. Um, oh, okay. That was Sandra D saying the words. Um, if you, if you, we can run it again. If you listen closely, the middle mm -hmm. word has a different emphasis. It's kind of uh, humorous. <laughs> emphasis. Hmm. Yeah, the middle one kind of there's like a little like hitch on the yog. It's it's, but then again, those are hard words to say. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yog sothoth. Uh, you know, it, it they actually did halfway decent pronunciation on the Lovecraftian language in this film. So I, I will I will commend them. It's not a bad Lovecraft film for for the budget and when it was made. And, and everything. I mean, obviously, it's not very Lovecrafty because there's a lady in it. <laughs> yeah. Because he didn't like writing about women. Um, so we don't have seven and eight, right? Uh, no, I mean, I, I can I can look and see if they're... Uh, um... No, it's okay. Basically, those are just when the, the 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 village mob, you know, becomes you know when the villagers become the village mob, which happens in all these horror movies. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't know how I missed seven and eight. No, I, okay. I apologize for that. I thought there was. Oh my god. No, that's my negligence right there, folks. No, it it it, it you know it's it's all right. I got them to you a little bit late, so I understand. But basically, yeah. And no then it's, what's funny is um. You've got the monster effects throughout this movie whenever the other brother escapes mm -hmm. or attacks somebody. And to me, the monster sound effects kind of sound, you know, kind of had that, that, that really 70, that really strange 70s goofy, you know, it had some theremin in it, it had some goofy like screaming and it, it had like, it sounded like your mouth was getting suctioned at the you know, mm. dentist's office, you know, that, that... Well, you know, I can I can go ahead and try and play these clips real quick. Uh, I, I they're they're still on the server here, so let let me try and play seven. It might be a little quiet, but uh, let's let's try clip seven real quick. What's happened? All hell's busted loose. Damn weight leave. No man would have mutilated the bodies that way. I don't say the Waitleys did it, but damn it, they're responsible. Settle down, Riga. Settle down. There are dead people in there. What do you mean, settle down? All right, so there that was clip seven. Right, that's the, so, the village mob starting. Village mob starting. And now this is the one you're talking about, the monster sounds? Yes, it's awful. <laughs> okay, all right. So it's a little quiet, so turn your speakers up a little bit. It'll be a little bit louder on the, on the podcast, uh, but uh, here we go.
I can tell you right now, there's probably either a flange or a phaser effect on those that make that swirling kind of sound. So um, that's that's a uh, um, and I believe the the flanger. I think John Lennon invented the flanger. Yeah, that that Beatles. suction sound though just kind of sets my teeth on edge. No yeah. pun intended. It does sound like. <laughs> It sounds like you're getting your mouth, you know, that suction thing they use at the dentist's office. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of what it sounded like when the house was drinking the paint on Green Acres last night, too. Okay. So maybe, that, the, that... maybe the monster needed his poor keyhole tightened. Okay. I don't, rec- <laughs> I don't have that. I don't know what that reference is. <laughs> it's it's to the Green, a- Green Acres episode I just watched last night. It's, oh, okay. It's being a goof. But no, go yeah, ahead. But- yeah, so um yeah, the, the monster in this is, is is an interesting bit of special. There's not much blood in this movie. When you see the bodies and they talk about how they're mutilated, it just basically looked like two people laying on the floor with there was no blood. It was just like their faces were white and it didn't look like there was any mutilation at all. It just looked mm-hmm. like they were dead. Um so it, it's very low on the blood and gore. So if you if you don't like movies with a lot of blood and gore, but you like a horror movie, here you go. Um, I bet they probably did that because they, they could have gotten an X rating for nudity and too much gore. So they probably wanted to keep the nudity and cut back on the gore. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the dream sequences have the most amount of nudity mm-hmm. and, uh, basically, you know, just, just a bunch of, uh, nude people running around in body paint. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's quite interesting. Um, but the special effects on the monster, um, at first, when the when you first see the the other brother, um, to me it reminded me of a cross between the Swamp Thing and the Horda, with a little bit of gibbering mouther thrown in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, if you don't know what a gibbering, gibbering mouther is, it's a D and D creature that has a bunch of like tentacled arms, but they all end, and he's like a it's like a glob with a bunch of mouths all over it, and the tentacle arms have mouths on the ends of it. It's a really creepy looking creature. Um, but at the end of the movie, it looks more like a gibbering mouth or crossed with a beholder. And a okay. beholder is a, a large floating sphere with a bunch of eye stalks and one big central eye. And that's kind of what, it, you know, kind of, uh, what, what they could do with their 70s special effects. Yeah. You know, and it's funny you talk about like the, na- you know, naked people dancing around in body paint and stuff like that. And it's so funny that like, uh, like hippie culture really latched on to Lovecraft back in the sixties and seventies. And honestly, they probably made Lovecraft bigger than he ever was uh before, you know? Yeah, there was, they were the, the the first cult film followers. So yeah. if you think about it. Yeah, and there was literally a psychedelic rock band called HP Lovecraft. Which weren't, cool. they weren't terribly bad. They had a really cool song called The White Ship. Not to be confused with The Crystal Ship by The Doors. So. <laughs> yeah, so the movie is not a a, a true um, take on, on, on a Dunwich. Um, actually, we should be pronouncing a Dunwich. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, because um, that's the way those those type of uh, uh, towns were supposed to be. The, 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 uh, the W was silent. But um, most people call it Dunwich, and that that's a that's a it's a popular thing for you know uh, th- throughout uh, our vernacular so to pronounce it that way. So 
Very cool. Yep. So, all right. Have fun. If you like Lovecraft and you don't take it too seriously, you can enjoy it. Um, if you take your Lovecraft seriously, don't watch it. You'll be disappointed. Yeah. Dunwich. Dunwich. <laughs> or don't watch. Dunwich. <laughs> right. <laughs> Dunwich. Uh, but yeah, so very good. All right. A anything else you want to add before we uh, go to our trailer break? Not really, but I did like the reproduction. I mean, the, 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 the 2009 one better, but that's just me. <laughs> All right. Hey, to each their own. All right. Well, I'll tell you what it is. It is uh, getting to be that time. We need to uh, go to the break. We've got um, a lot of great trailers that Michelle has uh, lined up for us. Eddie Albert, uh, in the vein of horror, lined up here. And, Joe, when you come back before we get to the Twilight Zone, if you want to uh, uh, make mention of the the Vincent Price story, uh, oh, sure. yes, yes. you're more than welcome to do so. We're going to have to have a big Vincent Price show um, when it's his birthday. Yes, yes, please. Uh, it's gonna be amazing. It's coming because, up soon, I think. Or yeah, we may have missed it. I think it's in May. I think it's in May. Are you sure? I thought I thought he was in autumn. Uh, I don't know. We'll look it up. Anyway, coming up, uh, trailers for uh, what do we have? We have uh, Dreamscape, uh, uh, Devil's Reign, uh, Witch Mountain, and um, uh, that made-for-TV movie, The Demonic. Something. <laughs> but here we go. We'll the be right The demon back. murder case. All right. We'll be back after this. Talking Vincent Price and Twilight Zone. The engines start now. Those two kids are witches. Find them. Now from Walt Disney Productions, a motion picture of unearthly power. Escape to Witch Mountain. Well. Hunted. You have power. Well, I want to be able to understand these powers. Their only hope is escape to Witch Mountain Rated G. There have been films about earthquakes, airplane disasters, and blazing infernos. But there has never been anything like The Devil's Reign. His face. That wasn't your father. It was his face. Mother? Mother! Columbus! Damn you! They had no faces. The Devil's Reign. The 300-year search for the power to damn mankind is over. Fools! And the towering terror of the Devil on Earth is now unleashed. Burn! 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 Hundreds of souls held captive in an eternity of hell. Seize him! Possessed by the devil. You, my son, have defiled all that is holy. Mother, my God, my God! They become his worshippers and his demons.
Devil's Reign, starring Academy Award winner Ernest Borgnine, Eddie Albert, William Shatner, Keenan Wynn, and Ida Lupino as Mrs. Preston, and with the special participation of Anton LaVey, High Priest of the Church of Satan. The Devil's Reign. Conceived by the producer of A Man Called Horse. Created by the masters of magic of Planet of the Apes. Together, they bring you a melting hell on Earth. And absolutely the most incredible, unforgettable ending of any motion picture ever. Heaven help us all when the devils reign. The devil of a time figuring out who did it when NBC presents an all-star cast in the world premiere movie, The Demon Murder Case. Parental discretion is advised. The house. The lovers. The boy. The killer. And a family fighting for its very survival. Ken Kirchhoff, Cloris Leachman, Andy Griffith, Eddie Albert. In the world premiere movie, The Demon Murder Case, a week from tonight. Alex Gardner has a unique talent, and even he doesn't know what it can do. No one has ever done it before. No one has even conceived of doing it before. Going into another person's dream. If I have to see that, leave it. He is about to enter a world that no one has ever seen before. The world of your dreams. I was under the impression we were conducting scientific research here. You sound as if you don't approve. I can see you're going to be a real challenge to work with. Oh, wait a minute, Doctor. I haven't agreed to anything yet. There's somebody in my dreams. Who? An awful, ugly monster. This kid is being eaten alive and nobody gives a damn. Whatever his demon is, you have to help him face it. There's nobody there. Are you sure, Alex? He's always but Alex will make a discovery more frightening than any dream. What's going on? I had to let you know you're in danger. You want my secrets? Just want some advice. I'm afraid he has to be killed. I'll assign some men to you. I think I should deal with this on my own. And now, his only way out is to go back in to the dreamscape. Close your eyes, the adventure begins. Hey. All right, very good. So Vincent Price was born May 27th. Yeah, so we are going to have a Vincent Price show coming up. Yeah, it, we're going to. It's Vincent Price, Christopher Lee, and Peter Cushing's. Oh, Those two days, the 26th my. and 27th. Yeah. That's going to be amazing. Yes, so, it is. <laughs> yeah, that'll be good. I mean, because I've been discovering so much more Vincent Price stuff. And things that I forgot about, like, the silly things. Like, he was on the Brady Bunch on their Hawaiian vacation episode. The two-parter. 
Do you remember yeah. that? <laughs> I, I know. I, somebody mentioned it earlier. I haven't seen yeah. it yet, but so I remember the episode. But I don't. You know, I, it's been so long. I probably didn't pay much attention to it back then. The cursed Tiki. Every time I saw it, the music was like. Yeah, he was like the crazy guy or something. The mad mad professor or something. Yeah, he was in a cave and was keeping Peter and Greg hostage or something like that. It's pretty funny. So, uh, but anyway, uh, all right, welcome back and uh, uh, to Michelle uh, and Miles. Hello, Miles. Welcome. Yep, yep. Hello. And Joe, you uh, uh, tell us about uh, the time Vincent Price uh, cooked a fish in a dishwasher. No, that's a different story. But, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> But yeah, so uh, uh, you you uh, uh, posted something about uh, a gourmet meal. Well, actually, yeah, I think I've told this story before on Turn Up the Night years ago. Um, but it, it, yeah, uh, Vincent Price was a very very nice man. According to Bob, he was very nice to work with, and. Um, uh, he loved his daughter uh, very much, and uh, to show it, he used his little influence in film industry to uh, have a surprise for his daughter on her birthday. And that surprise was he called up Rudd Weatherwax, Bob's father, and asked him to bring Lassie to her birthday party. And the reason I bring it up today uh, is because just yesterday uh, she posted on her uh, Facebook page pictures of that party. That's awesome. And let me uh, upload them into the uh, chat. That first picture there is on the uh, upper left. You'll see Bob's father, Rudd Weatherwax, mm -hmm. with his dog, Lassie. Yeah. And that is, uh, what's her name, Victoria? Yeah, Victoria, Victoria. Price. Right, uh, Price, uh, Vincent's father. And the guy to the far right, is his last name is Casey. He was one of the directors on the Lassie show. Uh, the picture over to the top right was, I believe that was at Bob's... Um, at Bob's uh, father's, uh, f he had a little farm that he only used to train mm -hmm. the dogs. Yeah. And I believe that's where that was taken. That's too uh, cool. There's a, also a picture of uh, a Lassie book. There is a note noting um, in the middle bottom, noting that, uh, that about the day and the birthday and how wonderful it was. And it's stamped. It's uh, stamped by Lassie, his paw print, and, oh, we have that paw print, so um, that's sitting in a drawer here in our house. If anybody ever wants Lassie's autograph, you know... Uh, we have it. We yeah. can send you Lassie's autograph. Actually, yeah. there's six six of those models. The original didn't have Lassie across the, the bottom. Wait a but, minute. Uh, so yeah. Lassie had six feet? What? Six feet. I thought, I thought yeah. it was four feet to fame. <laughs> I thought it was four feet to fame. Well, we don't talk about the other two. <laughs> the you know, that's the sort of a trade, trade secret yeah. that we just <laughs> just blew. Um, and there's there's Victoria with her birthday cake. That's adorable. so she really she really uh, she posted that the other day. Um, 
and uh, Bob's old publicist picked up on it and sent it to us in a text. And I thought I'd share it with you. The, the story was that after this party, Vincent Price being a very egregious type of man, and he was always a thankful guy, nice mm-hmm. guy. He had a luxury bus with a gourmet chef and a gourmet lunch brought up to Bob's farm to that's, that's uh, while, while Bob and, uh, and Rudd were doing some training sessions with the dogs and he knew where he was and he sent up this luxury bus with a gourmet lunch. That's so cool. For were the whole there, crew. Were there and, gourmet uh, dog biscuits too? There was gourmet everything. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Bob, Bob said this, this, he said Vincent Price, he was like six foot four, you know, came out of this, this bus. <laughs> he looked like he, he had a duck to get through the door, but uh, yeah, he came out and he, it was a big, and everybody had a great time and his daughter had a great time. And it was just to thank uh, Rod and Bob for bringing Lassie to his uh, daughter's birthday party. Well, that is awesome. That is. I awesome. think sometimes we forget that these, these celebrities were human beings yeah. and had families and would do things for their families that maybe we couldn't do, like have Lassie come to their birthday party. Sure. But, uh, uh, yeah, I well, mean, Vincent Price was a loving father. And uh, also, yeah. I, I think uh, Victoria was, was interviewed on Svengoolie one time. I think you're right. Yes, yes, she was definitely. Yes, I saw that at that one. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah, she's an inspirational speaker now, and mm-hmm. uh, things like that. Well, so. and I think you know, in the in the short uh, uh, tenure of this show, uh, the four episodes that we've done, we've learned a lot about a lot of different people, and you know, mm-hmm. and seeing the human side of a lot of folks. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and four four episodes in, we're seeing some of the inhuman things. Looking at you, Robert Montgomery's ghost. Um, yeah. <laughs> have fun burning in hell with Reagan. <laughs> so I'm just kidding. Yes, I'm just about to say that. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, I tell you, Bob's Bob's father, Rudd, who's like I said, pictured there, hated mm-hmm. Ronald Reagan and hated working with him. Oh, I can said he was him. an awful man, and would often start fistfights on the sets. And, so, I bet, uh, and I bet Vincent Price never started a single fistfight. No, I th- just to hear Bob. If you could hear Bob talk about him, he 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 revered Vincent Price. He was just a nice, nice man. That is terrific. That is great. Nice human. So, well, thanks yeah. for that. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll we can revisit uh, a little bit of that uh, for in May. Um, yes, for yes. our Vincent Price uh, uh, sure. special, with, along with. Uh, 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 Peter Cushing, you said, right, Michelle? And yeah, and Christopher Lee. Yes. Um, Vin- yeah, Christopher Lee and Vincent Price both were on uh, May 27th, and Peter Cushing's is on May 26th. That'll be a blockbuster. All right. Uh, so, and uh, okay, so it is time to get in the zone, everybody. Uh, where is my. Um, oh, Please tell me I didn't uh, wipe that out. I did. Hang on one second. We got to get back to our uh, um, uh, Twilight Zone folder real quick. I moved the uh, the Twilight Zone uh, short intro edit. There we go. <laughs> All right. So you might have went over on that one. I Sixty. Don't know. Yeah, I might have. Uh, Sixty-one <laughs> years ago today. There was no new Twilight Zone episode, so what we're doing is, on days like this, 
we're going to go back and uh, start recapping the season from the beginning. Uh, so season one, episode one, where is everybody? That's where we're starting. So this will this will be our stopgap uh, for when we don't have uh, uh, episodes to review. And of course, we can always. Uh, uh, do uh, if we run out, we'll do like you know the revamp series or maybe the radio series or something like that, or the movies, uh, whatever. Uh, but yeah, so here we go Twilight Zone, uh, season one, episode one, introduction. Where is everybody? The place is here, the time is now, and the journey into the shadows that we're about to watch could be our journey. Customer, <laughs> I got two dollars and eighty-five cents American money. <laughs> sure, American money. Well, we got that much settled. I'm an American. You see, there's some question about my identity. Let me put it to you this way: I'm not sure who I am, but I got two dollars eighty-five cents, and I'm hungry. That much is established. Two dollars eighty-five cents, and I'm hungry. I'm gonna wake up in a minute. I know it. I'm gonna wake up. All right. So what you just heard there is uh, uh, Mike Ferris, played by Earl Holloman, uh, finds himself walking down a, a, a lonely road and stumbling into a diner uh, where jukebox is blaring and. Um, uh, coffee pot is, you know, uh, steaming and, and nobody is there and he's, he's hungry, he's ready to eat and he is kind of uncertain of his identity. And, uh, then he makes his way, uh, from there to a town and, um, that's where the fun ensues. This is such a great episode and I'm so glad that we get a chance to start talking about the, you know, beginning episodes of season one 
So, um, uh, Miles, uh, this is uh, still fresh in your brain. Uh, you want to uh, talk about what happens once uh, Ferris gets into town? Right. So he uh, enters into the, I guess, for a fair description, the town square. That's mm-hmm. uh, you know a big green grassy area, and he can see a bunch of little buildings are all around the uh, the, the outskirts, and it's empty. He's looking around. He sees doors to shops that are open, but there's no people. Um, I mean, he heard music at the the cafe he was at, but here there is just nothing. And he's just walking around looking for uh, any and calling out. I think he mistakes a, ma- a mannequin for a real person, has a conversation with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a mannequin so, in the uh, a, a mannequin of a woman in the front of a truck that he sees. And, yeah, uh, so he has a conversation until he realizes, "Oops, you're not real." <laughs> yeah, and then he gets distracted by. I think he goes to the police station next, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Joe, you want to pick it up from there? Yeah. No, that's right. No, I was just saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he went to the police station, picked up the in, the intercom, calling all cars, <laughs> try to yeah. get somebody. <laughs> couldn't get anybody. Uh, he wanders into a movie theater. Uh, oh, there was a burning cigar in an ashtray in the in the yes at the police at the, station uh, as well. Yeah, yeah, the police station. You see, he wanders a, into a. Real mm-hmm. quick before before you get to that, st- it's still in the police station. He walks back into like the jail cells, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. this was before. Uh, and when I first started watching it, um, I didn't remember the episode, and mm-hmm. I thought it was something else. I thought he was on. Um, I thought somehow he got stranded on a nuclear test site, and he was going to be blown up. <laughs> That's what because mm-hmm. I saw the mannequin in that, but then. Um, when he walked into the one jail cell, the door started to close, but that was kind of foreshadowing for what the story was all about. And then he, he, and he ran over and, you know, um, made sure he didn't get shut in the jail cell. But mm-hmm. then, uh, but yeah, so then you can pick it up there from the movie theater again. Yeah. Yeah. He, he gets out of that, uh, out of that jail cell and then he runs, he runs, he runs out. He runs into a, uh, a movie theater, um, Sort of walks by the counter where the popcorn is and everything. Goes through the sh- the the uh, uh, curtains and uh, there's the seats and the, the the screen and sort of sits down and he's talking and trying yelling and asking where everybody is and all of a sudden the movie starts to play. So he rushes upstairs to the the uh, projection room and he he doesn't find anybody. The movie's running but there's nobody there. Uh, so this is starting right, like to really, really get to him. Now he's starting to. At one point, he, he hears a phone ring. That's right. So he runs to answer the phone, and he Mich- jumps in. They called them in those days phone booths. Ah, they used to yeah. have those things. You remember those? Yeah, that's what Superman used to put his red underwear on in. Yeah, yeah, they used to have those things. Um, <laughs> and he ran into this phone booth, and he answers the phone, and. It's, you know, the operator telling him to put more money in, but he can't get anybody. Nobody will talk to him. Then he 
somehow forgets how the doors on a phone booth work. Yes, and has an argument with it. And he has an <laughs> argument with the phone booth. <laughs> and he starts banging that he was locked in. Yeah. Every, I'm thinking, uh, idiot, they fall but, in, not out. <laughs> but, again, that's also kind of foreshadowing. The, the jail cell, the phone booth. That's mm-hmm. all, that's that's foreshadowing to what the what the end is. But Michelle, what the end is? Uh, mm-hmm. You you want to pick up uh, from there? Yeah. Um. He finally en- ends up uh, remembering how the phone booth door works after he's <laughs> wrenched it out almost off the hinges <laughs> and tries to put it back as he's pushing it open. And he he wanders out of there. Um. And uh, he wanders into one of the local soda shops and makes himself some ice cream all along, talking to himself. He's just like, it's like a you know detailed dream. He's looking at the books on the on the the uh, the, the 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 little stands that you keep books on in like uh, gift shops and stuff. Yes. And what's funny is a lot of the uh, a couple of the stands are completely devoted to one single book, and that book is the Last Man on Earth. Yeah. And he's looking at that, and uh, he's just he's his he's losing it. Um, there's just the just every everything you know. He all these little clues, you know, the burning cigar and the and the thing, and he's constantly saying he has this feeling that he's being watched, mm-hmm. and you know the music starting, and then the lights go on at night, and the lights going on at night, I think trigger him even more, and he walks over to the street where the um, uh, the, the the crossing light is, and he just leans his head against the post and starts hitting the crossing light, going, "I'm gonna wake up" or something, and just just repeatedly hitting that light, and then. Yeah. Oh well, and and uh, that's also at the point too. He sees the optometrist sign with the giant eyeball. Uh, yeah, that, that point. flips him out. <laughs> And uh, even before that, he actually saw something that reminded him he was Air Force as well. Um, the movie at the movie theater. The, mm-hmm. At the movie theater, yeah. Yeah, because the movie poster. And then we find out, um, uh, well, here, I have a clip from the end of the episode. Let's play that. What was it like, Ferris? Oh, wait, sorry, sorry. I, I should set it up a little bit more. Yeah, he presses the the button on the uh, crossing light, and he's like, basically, somebody help me. You know, somebody help me. He's losing his mind. Turns out he's been in an isolation chamber for, I think, like two weeks or something like that. Um, 484 hours, I think, was the number. Yeah, something something along those lines. Uh, As if he was going to be, you know, it was a test for him to go to the moon in a space capsule on a solo manned mission. Where he would be completely isolated, and uh, so uh, he freaks out. They wake him up, and um, he finally starts to snap out of it. And then um, one of the other, uh, uh, the one and only James Gregory, who plays a general, who played a general in another movie, which we'll get to in a minute, um, and uh, a general of a different species, though. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, James Gregory. Uh, comes up as the general and asks Ferris, what was it like? What was it like, Ferris? What did you think you were? A place I don't want to go again, sir. A town. A town without people, without anybody. What was the matter with me, Doc? Just off my rocker, huh? Just a kind of a nightmare that your mind manufactured for you. 
You see, we can feed the stomach with concentrates. Oh, that's the we doctor. We can supply microfilm general. for reading, recreation, even movies of a sort. We can pump oxygen in and waste material out. Oh. But there's one thing we can't simulate. That's a very basic need. Man's hunger for companionship. The barrier of loneliness. That's one thing we haven't licked yet. Next time it won't be just a box and a hanger, will it? No, Mike. Next time you'll really be alone. The guy who said next time we'll re you'll really be alone was James hey. Gregory. That was the general. Don't go away up there. Next time moon. it won't be a dream or a nightmare. Next time it'll be for real. So don't go away. We'll be up there in a little while. Up there, up there in the vastness of space, in the void that is sky, up there is an enemy known as isolation. It sits there in the stars waiting, waiting with the patience of eons, forever waiting in the twilight zone. Yeah. And I just want to add, uh, there are a lot of things I haven't licked yet. That's one thing we haven't licked yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I Especially just wanted, lately. Just wanted to add that. Well, we won't have time to play the trailer for this, but um, the uh, actor James Gregory, uh, who we didn't have a lot of audio from him in there, um, who played the general, also, like I said, played another general. He played General Ursus in Beneath Planet of the Apes. Probably my favorite Planet of the Apes movie. I mean, the, the first one is amazing, but there's so much crazy stuff in Beneath Planet of the Apes. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I gotta play a little bit of General Ursus's speech here. I'll tell you one thing that every good soldier knows. The only thing that counts in the end is power. Naked, merciless force! <laughs> Members of the Citizens' Council, I am a simple soldier, and as a soldier, I see things simply. I don't say all oh, humans are evil simply because their skin is white. No. But our great lawgiver tells us that never, never will the human have the ape's divine faculty for being able to distinguish between evil and God, yes. the only good human is a dead human. Dude. <laughs> Whoa. You went too far. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you also but, remember James Gregory was in a Star Trek episode. Uh, yes, he was. Whom, in, whom gods whom destroy. Whom gods destroy. That's right. Wasn't yes. he in Police Academy or something like that, too? He might, he might have been. So, also, Earl Holloman. Oh, I got an interesting ca character. I got, I got something for you from Earl Holloman. Well, it, it, good. well here, it, it, let, me, let me play this for you. Here's go a ahead, clip. Go ahead. Here's here's a clip from him from uh, uh, 1958 uh, in his uh, prior life. Mr. Saturday Hop, and they crowded the floor. It's the real drag without you. 
Who got as far as the door They'd have asked me about you so yeah, that's his take on Duke Ellington's "Don't Get Around Much Anymore." He was uh, he was a rocker uh, in he the fifties. But uh, go ahead, what were you going to say about uh, and and please just, music just music some, uh, uh, royalty people leave me alone. Nobody plays that song. Yeah. <laughs> just just some uh, his filmography is is interesting because you might recognize him as Cook from Forbidden Planet. Yes. Yeah, I saw that. Okay, or you can remember him uh, from Visit to a Small Planet. Mm-hmm. He also was on uh, The Bridges of Toko Ri, and a, a great movie. Um, if you never saw it, you should see it. Giant. I should check it out. And, and uh, so he, anyone, he won a Golden Globe Award. I mean, he was also the... <laughs> He was also an only child in a family of 10. What? <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> he was an only child. Mormon family? In a family with, with 10 siblings. <laughs> His birth parents gave all 10 children away to orphanages. Oh, God. Because of their. Yes. I thought it was um, I thought I thought it was a Mormon family for a second there, you know. Dad <laughs> no. dad and uh only one out of nine fertile wives. Uh <laughs> his father actually his father actually died I think a, a few months before he was born. That's horrible. So, that's that's Yeah. And he it was so all 10 children were farmed out to to orphanages and he was adopted by an oil rigger near Arkansas or Texas or somewhere down there. And uh, they raised him and, and, and uh, as an, he, he was their only child. So he originated wow. in a family of 10 and he ended up I see. being okay. raised as an only child. And, and he always said that that was how his mother was able to uh, nurture him and encourage him in his ambition to become an actor. Well, he actually good. joined the, the, the Navy at age 16 during mm-hmm. World War II, and was kicked out a year later when they found out how old he was. Oh wow! Okay, he lied about his age. That's so. He's quite an interesting character, all on his own, and uh, yeah. So he was a rocker, also an actor, uh, one and... thing. There was a, there was an alternate ending to that Twilight Zone. You know, I did not know that. In the end of the the Twilight Zone, originally in the script, uh, when he looked up at the moon and says, "I'll be coming," you know. Yeah. He reaches in his pocket and finds a movie ticket from the town. Uh oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. By the yeah. way, he's still alive. He's ninety-two years old, and he's yeah. also an animal rights activist. Yes. So um all right, anything else to add? We're running over right now. Uh Michelle, anything else to add for uh the Twilight Zone episode? I mean, this is a great episode. It totally justified this being the first uh, the f- season one episode one. Yeah, um, no, I I enjoyed it. Um, it was it was it was it was very well done. Um, although I, you know, his subconscious was really playing him for a loop by putting all those strange little triggers in there, like the burning cigar and stuff. Yeah, but 
as far as James Gregory, great, great role playing a captain. Um, I think of the Air Force, maybe it might have been the Army. Um, and and the Kolchak, the Night Stalker episode. Oh, oh, yep. we're we're gonna be doing a Kolchak episode coming up to, uh, soon, and because guess what, I bought all the Kolchak stuff on DVD, both movies <laughs> and the series. So I'm excited about that, because there's the Night Stalker and the Night Strangler, the two films. And the twenty episode series, very exciting. Uh, Miles, anything else you'd like to add to the Twilight Zone season one, episode one? Where is everybody? Yeah, it 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 really. I don't think it was. It's just the delusions of a person going crazy inside isolation. So there wasn't anything supernatural about it, like normal. Uh, but uh, it's still a good episode. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I what impressed me was how it was. Um. You know, 1959, I think, uh, was the year that was mentioned in the book, like the last man on Earth or something like that. Okay. And they're already talking about going to the moon, and that happens 10 years later. Yeah. Pretty impressive. Yeah. So, all right, Joe, any last words on this? No, that's it. Uh, It was a great episode. Like you said, it's uh, deserving being number one. Yeah. So, all right. Well, hey, I, we, I had a great time tonight. I hope everybody's going to have a terrific weekend. Uh, go ahead and, uh, you know, pour yourself a drink. Just a little juice of the wild grape. Or uh, have yourself some... Uh, wild parsley. Yeah, whatever you want to do. But uh, don't lick anything weird, though. That's one thing we haven't licked yet. Yeah, so... Because somebody might say this. It's going to confirm what a lot of people have always thought. You're a dingbat. That's all we got. Have a great weekend, everybody. See you next week on It Came From Cleveland. Oh, yeah.